0: Everybody be cool. You be cool. Sadistic Penguin Studios presents the At The Show podcast with Tom Yumper Garcia.
1: Okay, you people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president.
0: And Tony Chalse Burt.
1: I don't know this industry jargon, YP, MP, whatever, okay? All I know is that I cannot get a record contract. We cannot get a record contract unless I take these tapes.
0: It's almost time. So grab a drink, get your popcorn ready, and join the film discussion with two guys from Chicago talking movies.
1: We're back. Welcome to At The Show Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom Yumpa garcia and I'm with my other co host Tony Chalsa, aka Sugar Baggy, aka Mr. Burton. Bert, how you doing, Tony? I'm doing good. How about yourself, my man? I am good, my friend. I'm so happy. It is the end of the week. Uh, Work has been very, very draining, and I know that has for everybody else. Uh, But, you know, it's been really, really stressful for me. So I'm really, really happy to talk some movies today. This is
0: why we are here, my friend. We are here to... Let loose with some laughs and some insight on some really good movies.
1: Yes, sir. And we got a good one for you today. We have a couple segments and we also have our big review of From Dust Till Dawn Deep Dive. So I'm really looking forward to that. But um with that, Tone, so let's get into our regular segment of what we've been watching for the week. That's a me, and also are you just watching so Tom, what you been watching my man
0: okay really quick before we get started on what i've been watching at the bottom there uh a couple weeks ago we talked about science of the uh, lambs have you
1: mm-hmm. ever seen silence of the hams yes a very long time ago uh i'm uh, sorry i'm distracted by brian no no, that no, it no
0: it's more i'm laughing because it's i didn't know why it didn't click when we had the actual show but i always think of the movie cuz billy zane is in it and his mm-hmm. name in the movie is joe d foster <laughs> um it's you know so it and don DeLuise as uh hannibal lecter but um i have not watched it in a while and i had just I thought that was hilarious um but the two movies i have watched recently uh first off real quick is hamburger hill if you have never seen this movie it is a really 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 awesome um a Mm -hmm. vietnam war movie um it's kind of to me i always thought it was just like platoon full metal jacket apocalypse now and um uh and like deer hunter but hamburger hill is actually really really good it uh, came out in the late 80s and it has everyone in it from don cheadle to courtney b vance to dylan mcdermott just a really good movie all around. If you're looking for a, a good war movie, and my second movie I watched was Dumb and Dumber Two. Um, I've seen this movie a uh, couple, quite a few times. Um, I, I, I like this one. A lot of people might not like this one. I know it's definitely not as good as the first one, but there are some really, really stupid laughs. If you've had a long day, that uh, that they, they 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 make me smile. So yeah, that's what I've been
1: watching. How about you, my man? Uh, first, uh, Hamburger Hill, great film, uh, depressing film.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. No, not something I make a joke. Not something you want to watch after a long day, the opposite of, of that. But that's why yeah. I was like, Saturday morning
1: at like 10 or 11, I think it <laughs> was or something. But it's a good, very good film. Uh, Dumb and Dumber. I was a big fan of the first one. I actually, uh, remember, um, they made a prequel with two different actors for, uh, Harry, Harry, when Harry met Lloyd. Yeah, uh, which I thought was okay, and then when these when they came back for this one, I I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I just find it hilarious that Jeff Daniels is a very straight edge, <laughs> and straight like straight man character, but he plays comedy. He did very well, yeah. you know, for the original. Yeah. So awesome, two awesome picks, man. Uh, yeah. for, for me, I finally got to, to sit down and watch some of Loki. So I'm going through Loki. I know it came out last summer, but I have not had time to watch it with everything that's going on, um, with work and family stuff. Uh, I finally got to sit down and watch the first two episodes and man, I am loving the way the story is going. I love Tom Hiddleston, um, big fan of Owen Wilson. You know, those two uh, played their parts perfectly and I'm I'm looking forward to see to where it goes. Um, I haven't read any spoilers on it, so I'm going in, you know, completely fresh. So, so far, so good, man. Have you watched any of it? uh yes
0: i have and uh some say it may be the best show out of all the shows that marvel has put out um i don't I, i'm not you know i don't i think everything that i've seen i've enjoyed at different levels i haven't seen anything where i thought it's just straight up garbage but mm-hmm. I, I definitely think loki is at the more top tier of the shows that they are releasing
1: yeah if i had it like there, there really isn't any bad like marvel content i think for me, like Loki, would probably be my first, and then I really, really liked, um, Wanda Vision. I yeah, thought Wanda Vision was really done, well. really done well. Uh, and I actually I like She Hulk. So I know She Hulk got a lot of crap, in the you know what Marvel yeah. fanboys and fangirls, but I actually liked. I thought it was funny. I thought it was closer to the comic book than when I read it as a kid. But I mean, you know, people like what they like. But yeah. I liked it. <laughs> Very awesome. Um, and then to finish off. My what I've been watching, I watched a movie that's my regular go to whenever I'm working or doing some stuff on the side and I just throw it on for noise, but I actually end up watching it. And that's the movie Cyborg with John Claude Van Dam. Horrible movie, but it's awesome because it has John Claude Van Dam.
0: Um moving um, really quick when I went in in Eighth grade, when I moved to Indiana, um, I befriended somebody and his basement. His dad had a really VHS collection. And I'll always remember walking up to it and seeing this movie called Cyborg and never had heard of it in this point up until in eighth grade. And I would constantly, our friendship would be based upon me at school going, we're going to go watch Cyborg? But we never really ever watched Cyborg until later. But great, great, great action van Dam, you know early van Dam, which is the best van Dam. so it's 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 good
1: yeah for sure and uh it had a sequel that actually starred another like first that went to superstardom and that was um angelina jolie uh i've seen it it's it's okay uh it's i mean they're not great movies with them but it's enjoyable to watch to me i mean mm-hmm. I'm, but yeah check them out if you haven't i think cyborgs on prime for free so you can actually watch that now for free if you have amazon prime very awesome great picks mm-hmm. great picks on you too my man you have been with the picks uh i I'll always look forward to see what you've been watching because i want to see uh if I have, I, if I...
0: i'm i trying to like i'm like switching it up because mm-hmm. to be fair like i always like what was i watching i finished Dust till dawn and then i was watching road trip so what a quite a back-to-back twosome <laughs> before coming on the show tonight you know <laughs> Hey, I'm Road classic. Trip and I'm like, should I switch my musical pick? Because there's a lot of good music in this. Oh, and it's like it's then
1: Reckon oh, Meyer he, A lot of yeah, he does a good job in that movie. And Tom Green, it's like one of the few roles Tom Green isn't like. Well, he's weird, but it's not like it's he's hilarious. No, no. and Fred Ward is the
0: dad. Yeah, uniform is great. Coming, you know, mm-hmm. love Tremors. We love Tremors.
1: Yeah, Fred Ward. uh oh man, I love Fred Ward. I can go on a tangent about Fred Ward. Oh, he's great. <laughs> Um, but that's what we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching over at, at the show on the Twitters, X, and at Sadistic Penguin Studios on Facebook. Uh, I watched you out, chat yeah, followed by Schindler's List. Wow, that's, that's two that's, polar that, opposites that's the, there, uh, man. Back, uh, back to back right there. <laughs> yes. Um, so for our next thing we're going to spiel into, we actually have a special guest tonight uh, for our In Defense of segment. But we want to bring her on to to talk a little bit about a passing in Hollywood that happened yesterday, but was announced today. And that's the passing of Carl Weathers. But with that, we're going to bring in the great Keelan, a.k.a. Keelan 12-foot Skeleton from Razzball and a big movie nerd.
2: Big movie nerd. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for coming on. It's a sad way to kick it off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but... We've all been uh, impacted by Carl. Uh, Carl passed away at the age of seventy-six yesterday. Uh, just some like feelings, guys. Like, what are your favorite Carl Weathers movies? Or you know, when's the first time you saw Carl Weathers on TV? Oh
2: man, um, I guess I'm trying to remember what the first time was. I honestly think it might have been uh, when he was Chubbs and Happy Gilmore, um, but. I love him most in Rocky Four, even though he's not in it long. Sorry for the spoiler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're ruining a lot of people that haven't seen a movie. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
2: they have to watch it now.
1: Mm-hmm. What about
0: you, uh, Tom? Oh, um, for me personally, I mean, there's there's a couple different things, but this is, I think, my introduction right here. Dylan! <laughs> you son of a bitch (laughs) that is right there i think my introduction to him um predator probably i would go with is my favorite um but my dad would always watch this movie and i posted about it earlier it was called action jackson from 1989 Mm -hmm. and carl weathers coach was a great bad guy in that but it was cool because he was the star in it where in rocky he isn't the star he's great in rocky but he's you
1: know, you know. Yeah, he's, and that was his only starring uh, role, from what I understand. Like his lead role, yeah, uh, was Action Jackson. Unfortunate. Um, I happened to see him, uh, in Rocky. So growing up, my my dad and I used to watch boxing. Boxing was really predominant in my house. Uh, Julio Cesar Chavez was like, you know, me being Mexican was like one of the biggest boxers when I was growing up. So we would watch every fight we had with him of course that led to boxing movies you know the boxer with um Daniel Day-Lewis we I've seen Rocky was predomin- you know one of my favorite movies it still is one of my favorite movies growing up so Carl Weathers of course playing the Paulo O'Cree character based off Muhammad Ali was like I was just mesmerized by how close he was to the actual character you know the actual person the way he played him and then of course Predator you know I, I still remember like it's the goriness of how he ends up you know meeting his end in Predator with his arm getting t- turned off it's just their arms, just yeah, yeah, and then like I remember watching it as a kid, and like it's still shooting, and I'm like, the "I wait, like, is that real?"
0: Camera too and he's like, "He's like that." I don't know if that would be your natural reaction, but <laughs> yeah, great, 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 great yeah. star. And then of course, as you mentioned, Happy Gilmore. I mean, mm-hmm. damn, ripped my head off. And, oh
1: yeah,
2: he's losing limbs a lot.
1: Yeah, he lost you- his arm and his hand, um, but you know. RIP to Carl. Like I'm so happy he at least got some of his roses. You know he kind of came back had a resurgence with uh, he was in Arrested Development. Yeah. And then he went and did the uh, he went did uh, the Mandalorian, um, which he played a predominant role in there. So I wanted to see how they're gonna you know proceed with his character. I him to give him a nice send off. And he was actually in the Gronk commercials uh, for the Super Bowl kick that nobody cares about. But he was, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he was. A, but uh, RIP to Carl. Um, such a good dude. Like, I'm sad to see him going. Like, as I, we get older, I noticed that a lot of people that we grew up with are kind of going. So it's sad part of movies.
0: Yeah. And you just don't know when you're at work or anywhere. Where, unfortunately, like this one, you someone sent me a text and I told you it just said Apollo. And then you're like, you should pull up a picture. We should really honor Carl tonight. <laughs> and I was like, that's what Apollo meant. Now yeah. it may all make sense because I was too busy. But
1: yeah. 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 Poor Carl, man. But uh, you know, RIP to one of the great you know characters that our child has known, Mchulbs and Apollo Creed. Definitely. But with that, let's get on to talking to Miss Keelan here. So, Miss Keelan, you have a movie for us, and we'll go into the segment in a second. But uh, just wanted to ask you just a couple like introductory questions that we usually ask like our guests that come on.
2: Absolutely.
1: So, so I know you're a big film junkie like we are uh what's your favorite film genre
2: my oh man um <clears throat> probably horror
1: oh nice, nice.
2: <laughs> yeah i don't know I'm, I'm pretty into it and yeah it's nice when you find other people who are because it, you have a lot to talk to and it's very easy to talk to them but it's hard when uh there's nobody around that likes it because it's like they really don't like it usually.
1: So what type of horror is it? Are we talking terrifier horror? Or are we talking like slasher, like Halloween?
2: All of it, honestly. Oh, okay. Um, whenever I was looking through things for the the segment, I'll be talking about so much of it was horror. Um, and yeah, it was a combination of like slasher stuff. Um, I do stuff like terrifier. I do like it. It usually doesn't end up being something... That I watch a lot just because Mm. it is, it's a lot. I saw Terrifier, um, the last one in theaters. So I think the Mm. Christmas one will be interesting too. Um, But yeah, I think um, I watched a lot of Halloween growing up and, of course, Child's Play. (laughs) It's Chicago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, I have a, I like Shudder. And yeah, I always, that's what I feel like I end up watching when it's like, oh, I need to turn something on in the background.
0: I'll turn on a horror movie.
2: I don't well, know what
0: that means you know. Earlier, bringing up like Creepshow too. I mean, yeah. I, I tend to lean. I mean, I'll watch it all too. I love. I've tried, like I said, to watch it all, but of course, I with the more cheaper the quality, the less I tend to stay away. I like. I'm looking for like killer clowns that look ridiculous, but like the script flows, <laughs> but the <laughs> graphics, but it's still stupid. Like, yeah. I'm looking for a lot of different things working. Um. That's why like Lost Boys is something that I enjoy because it's not scary, but it's in the horror genre, but there's ridiculousness to it. But then, you know, you got Child's Play, which I remember definitely, I was like eight years old and my dad was working midnight. So he takes me to the video store and rents that and says, this is what you're going to watch. And it was very scary experience, but I love it. I still love it. It's great.
2: I saw Brian's quote. We were just, we were talking about Thanks
1: for the ride, lady. Um, Yeah, we were just talking about that earlier in the the green room. Uh, So horror is like something that I am really into. It's what me and my brother grew up on. Like that my mom's favorite holiday is Halloween. So we started watching as kids. I mean, we grew up in the 80s and 90s. So Halloween, Child's Play, Exorcist, you know, those are like staples in our household. And then we got into the more obscure films like, uh, you know, killer clowns and then there's Killjoy uh, there's a movie called Clown House that we watched uh,
0: Clown House Sam Rockwell
1: yeah it's an older movie I, I don't really like to talk about it because I'm not the director but yes, yeah, I got some film that we watched back in the day a lot you know The Thing John Carpenter you know Big Lo- yeah. Big Trouble in Little China but his also has a great he's known for Halloween and The Thing you know uh, anything with horror that I consume like my brother still goes to the theaters lets me know like the newer movies that come out like he was the first person to tell me that <laughs> The Exorcist was bad and yes, Brian, the Ice Cream Man. So there's two Ice Cream Man. There's one with Ron Howard's brother. Clint, Clint Howard. Clint. And, there's a, and there's another knockoff version, which is like really oh. horribly done. That's low budget. That me and my brother rented from the Video Star. Masterpiece video on 47th 40, 40, uh, and uh, Ashland. That's yeah. wild that there's a knockoff of that.
2: Movie.
0: Yeah,
1: it's so bad. But... <laughs> It's like I need to see. I for me personally,
0: in my horror movies, I need to recognize one name in the credits because if I don't, that's when I'm like, I don't know. But I have seen good ones without. But that's why I like just one. Just give me one cheesy bad actor from the '80s, buried and very at the bottom to say, okay, well, because th- there's just a lot that is released, like a lot of movies that are just like like on Netflix that are just like. I don't know if i want to
1: sit through this but yeah you know, yeah and me i just i, I have shutter so <laughs> uh yes. as you can see like i've done the, the for two years the 31 days of horror so i've done like what 62 movie reviews for us yeah like yeah. uh i just it's never uh never something that you know i i always go and no matter who's in it to see if it's bad it's bad but sometimes they're so bad they're good like there was a movie uh about a killer turkey about thanksgiving i saw <laughs> it was ridiculous um Yes, uh, R.I.P. Carl Weathers, renowned acting coach. 90s auctions, we just talked about them maybe about five minutes ago. But yes, R.I.P. Carl Weathers. Uh, But yeah, just horror is like really big, a big genre for me. Horror horror and um, martial arts movies are really big for me. Uh, But um, Keelan, what's your, would you say is like a guilty pleasure film that is bad? You know it's bad, but you love it. Like for me, it's The Pest with John Leguizamo. Me and my brother really? loved that movie. I
2: feel, yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised that's like a guilty pleasure. I feel like a lot of people like
1: it. But... I know a lot of people that hate that movie.
2: <laughs> really? Uh, yes, well, I love You it, love, I love it, it so yes. <laughs> it's good to
0: you. I remember being in a movie theater and we were something big that was coming out on a Friday and everybody was packed. And then the lady in the front's like, we're letting in for the pest. And three people had to like scoot in between everybody to like get through. I'll, that's what I'll always remember about the pest. Great movie. Beaver <laughs> <Great movie.
1: laughs> Pitches of Druze. Oh nice!
2: Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I like all of the RoboCops, like Ooh. all of them. Uh, you- well, all of the older ones. I have like the trilogy on DVD. I don't have. I only have like I think six or seven DVDs still, and I saved them because I was sentimental about them. And uh, the RoboCop trilogy, the original one, is one of mine. But yeah, I like two and three. Um, I like all of the like political commentary in them, and also just like how they kind of go off the rails with like Kane and yeah. <laughs> like all, Nuke and all of the stuff like that. Um, and then Steven Root is in—I forgot two or three. Um,
1: he's in three. Yeah, I think yeah. so.
2: With all the kids, so I mean, he's in there.
1: So yeah, he's he in the third one. He plays kids. the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, guy turns on them. Yeah, Steven Root. <laughs> Yeah, Samurai Robocop one. Yeah, it's part three. That's uh good. there's actually a there's actually a fourth one. I think it's called Prime Directives that was released like as a series and they claim it's like the fourth movie. I watched those too. <laughs> I'll
2: have to check those out. I don't think I've ever seen that.
1: Yeah, it's one of them has to deal with Robocop's son. It's it's a different storyline. Robocop's son. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But um <laughs> Sweet though, though. I mean, Robocop it, it's it's iconic. They just released a game sure. for him. It's great. Yeah. Oh. But uh, key, let's get into our segment of in defense of and let's play this little video for that. So, Keelan, what movie are you defending today?
2: I am defending the 1997 film Event Horizon.
1: Classic, total <laughs> classic in the worlds of Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Uh, classic.
2: Classic. <laughs> yeah, I was actually I feel silly saying this after like having a rewatch because I was like, okay, I get I get why this is like this. But yeah, it has a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes, 35% on Metacritic, 6.6 on IMDb. And I was like, man, I feel like this one gets lost in the shuffle of time where it's like. At the time this came out, the graphics were awesome. <laughs> now when you watch it, they're kind of weird. But for 1997, it was like mind-blowing. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing I think that hurt it. But I like the story. I like the twist. It's got a great cast. It has Lawrence Fishburne. It has Dr. Alan Grant. <laughs> it has Jason Isaacs. It has Jolie Richardson. It has Kathleen Quinlan and it's actually a pretty small cl- small cast like I didn't really think about that until I rewatched it last night um, and they hold it down so yeah and it's got a I think it's got a good soundtrack it's definitely of the era it's like industrial music <laughs> but it works
1: yeah yeah, yeah it totally does uh, so it's also directed by uh, Paul W.S. Anderson who yeah. is fresh off uh, Mortal Kombat to direct this movie yeah. Um, so I think he did a great job with Mortal Kombat. And I know he took this one uh, as kind of a... Because he wanted to do a sci-fi movie. And, and he, he kept
2: doing sci-fi movies.
1: Yes, he did. He uh, he did the Resident Evil movies too. I think he's married to... Um, he is, yeah. Mila Jovovich. Yes, he's married to Mila Jovovich. Um, but it's crazy that he was offered this movie and basically uh, he had to turn down to direct like X-Men and then The X-Files and Alien Resurrection, which alien resurrection but it's kind of crazy he uh turned down those movies to do this one Um, yeah one thing that i always hear about this film and watching it is uh sam neill who's i think is a phenomenal actor uh they say he overplays his role a little bit in this do you agree
2: interesting i mean he does get a little weird whenever he we find out (laughs) what's going on and he does the whole like where we're going you don't need eyes to see but i think that's like the whole point literally he's kind of like a demon from hell so i would expect him to be a little dramatic there um he does do a a weird scream i think in a scene where he's he's like visualizing his wife killing herself he has a very like odd scream but it's like okay well his wife just killed herself so it makes
0: sense I, I have a buddy that if i was to just he was in the room here and i would just say the word event horizon he would grab my shoulder and we would do the scene where samuel's like ah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, a we would be in high school because what had happened was is that uh, my mom had taken us to like sh- Woodfield Mall, and my buddy with me, and we left and went and saw this in Copland in the same day at Woodfield. And at the time, and I watched it the other day again, and we talked about this about a year ago, and you're the one who's really kind of talked me into thinking this movie isn't actually as bad as I thought it was a long time ago. Um, (laughs) But I'm also thinking when we were watching this, I mean, we were like sophomores in high school, and it's a heavy, heavy, heady movie that... We were probably thinking we were just getting into, like, Alien, which is just like, yeah. this is, this is like Hellraiser in space. Yeah, and it,
2: yeah.
0: It's it's deep, and it's, it's, it's good because of the actors, I think. Again, I think if you have a different cast that aren't Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne, it might not hold up, but I think they do a good job. Yeah,
2: and I think it's nice to see Jason Isaacs. I feel like yeah. he's so easy to see in the like bad guy role it's nice to see him in something a little different um but yeah i agree i after watching it again last night i was like this is just alien plus hellraiser
1: (laughs) so it's funny you mentioned that because actually uh anderson said that he pulled a lot of this film's um story and like the visualization was from clive barker and barker actually visited the set a lot uh to get um like his advice and whatnot which i think you could totally tell it's like a Homage to uh, Hellraiser. Yeah. Um, so, Key, when did you first see this movie? Like, how did you discover it?
2: So, I think we were talking about this before the show a little. I can't specifically remember. I didn't see it until I was a little older. And I honestly, it was one of those, like, as we were talking about, I enjoy horror. So, I was like, how have I not seen this when I did see it? I think I might have been in my 20s the first time I saw it. And it definitely seems like something that I would have liked when I was younger. Um, But I think I must have thought it was a, like, broadly sci-fi movie, um, which I don't typically watch. So I probably was, like, put off by the name. Um, But then, yeah, I ended up watching and it was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. (laughs) Even though it's also very weird.
0: But that, that, that's what makes it, you know. I think some of its glory is that weirdness. You know that Sam Neill acting; he's got his eyes yeah. all sewed, sewed up. You know.
2: Yeah, I definitely think, maybe, you know, <laughs> um, it's better than Daybreakers.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 it is. It is definitely better than Daybreakers.
2: I mean, that's pretty. Like that's terrifying, though.
0: It's, it is, it's kind it, of funny right now, but it is. <laughs> in, in the movie, in the context, because the music, as you stated, was like, you know, industrial. So it kind of reminds me a little some of the music, like in Grandma's Boy when he goes in that room and that industrial music is blasting. But this is like in this movie with like the fate. It, it, it was, it's, it, Did I just, it the movie's very hot. To me, it's very like hollow and metallic. Like it's very, empty, but in a, in a way that scares you, it's, and I think he pulled it off what I think he was going for.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it does have like some nice twists in it. Um, there, I think one thing that it does become fairly, it was obvious early on that it's like, this dude has a very weird attachment to this ship called the event horizon. Like Mm. this isn't right. So that's one thing I think they could have dragged out a little longer, um, without revealing
0: as much because it was like something's weird with him but it would have been cooler in the beginning probably if he had like flashbacks of like dinosaurs <laughs> and then it was like a tie in like a lost world because <laughs> you know he wasn't in the second one so like that was it like he went to space
1: so yeah. he gives up on uh cunning for dinosaurs to go invent
0: that's why he goes back for three because the space yeah. thing his eyes They're are right. all sewed up that would have
1: been um cool.
2: Oh, speaking of jurassic park when i was watching this i watched it on um amazon prime and uh it has that like little x-ray trivia thing and one of yeah. the things that came up was that people um get samuel L. jackson and lawrence fishburne mixed up and i was like mm. what they don't look alike i don't think they look alike at all no. and apparently like they've been standing next to each other and people got them mixed up and i was like
1: no. no. Yeah, totally different. <laughs> Not at all. Different acting styles. Yeah, uh, I think actually, to be honest with you, I think Lawrence actually does more of a um, "Boys in the Hood" like performance in this film, as being yeah. more direct and more um, like concrete. And everything he's kind of a uh, kind of a dick. He
2: is kind film. of a dick.
1: Yeah, but that's. I mean, he's a he's the uh, lieutenant, I believe. Uh, but funny thing, you say that you know you wish they would have spent more on the story. Um, just doing a little research on the film. The original, you know, cut was an hour and 30 minutes of which they trimmed down. And when the movie didn't do so well at the box office, Paramount, you know, told him, the executive told him, you know, we're sorry. It didn't do too well. We didn't promote it correctly. So how about you go and make a director's cut? Well, the way the film was stored uh, back in the day, it wasn't stored like very well. So he only could find certain aspects of his original cut and he really couldn't make it a director's cut. So he had to show like storyboards as bonus features and stuff like that. And uh, this actually has a tie-in too with the uh, the great Kurt Russell who was in Soldier, the next movie that W.S. Anderson would um, direct. And he was kind of down about the film. And, you know, Kurt Russell told him, quote, forget about what the movie's doing now. In 15 years time, this is going to be the movie you're glad you're made. And that's kind of cool that he uh, he told him that because think about Big Trouble in Little China. Everybody hated it. And now it's like a big cult classic. Yeah, it's an yeah. iconic movie. And... Uh-huh. He said movies are movies. He always says movies are movies. You roll the dice and you see what happens. And this is the same thing for this movie. And to answer a question that Brian had asked, which is better, Event Horizon or Spear? In my opinion, I think Event Horizon is better. Spear is a very, very good book. I don't know if you guys have read it. It's a very good book. The movie's with Dustin Hoffman. It wasn't as great. But uh, the book is extremely good. If you guys haven't read that one, I would definitely check it out. It's about... uh, Basically a, a sphere where you go in and knows everything, all your fears, kind of like this movie, but more in depth. Um, Event Horizon, I think, doesn't get the uh, praise it should. It's not the greatest horror movie by any standards, but it's enjoyable.
0: I buy yeah. the book in high school and I'm saying and I read it. It's it's one of the best things I've ever read at the time. The movie comes out. I go to like a matinee. You know, I'm like in high school. Nobody calls it this sphere movie it was a big letdown compared to the book a really big letdown so i'd go with the horizon yeah i I haven't read the book i've seen the movie it was good
2: i mean it was
0: similar but i gotta watch it again though because again this is i'm going back to a long time ago my review of it and i tend to look at things differently now than then so
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, and like uh, like Brian says, the funny thing is because Samuel L. Jackson's in Spear. So they could have been mixed up. So, um, but yeah, I, I like the book better. It's, I mean, it's, it also depends on what you guys like, you know, your opinion on movies. But I just thought the book was better and I think I enjoyed uh, Event Horizon more.
2: Yeah. I feel like with most um, <laughs> books to movies in like the horror genre, you really miss out on a lot of the subtle things like the characteristics where you can kind of like empathize with the character, even if they're bad or like, yeah, I think it's like with Stephen King, if you read a lot of his books, there's just so much more detail. And then when you see the movie, you're like, you know, things that make it better. But like, if you hadn't read the book, you would miss out on a lot. I feel like the shining, even I feel like the book is so good. And I mean, the movie's iconic, but you, the whole like, you miss so much of Jack Torrance and mm. him as a person. You just see him as a crazy, mean dad. And yes, he was also that in the book, but they, they give you like more conflict for the characters of the book. So,
1: yeah. And um, have you seen Doctor Sleep? Yeah. Have you read the book?
2: I have not read the book. So yeah, no, I haven't. Uh,
1: we discussed like Doctor Sleep and episodes before, um, and. Me personally, like Doctor Sleep, the movie is the closest thing I think to the book that I've seen from Stephen King. Uh, and I actually would say it's maybe a bit better the movie is in the book. Um, because he does turn around, it's just a few things in the the movie turns around a few things in, in the book, but like that's probably like his best adaptation. That and I would say like the first it was good, and then it yeah. chapter two, they switched around a lot of stuff. They did. Um, you know, even in the first one with the characters, which I was like not a fan of, but Yeah, I totally get what you're saying about like books and movies. Um, I wish they would put the detail in there, but then again, if they did that, like movies are probably like four hours long. Yeah, that is complaining about them.
2: Yeah, and I think there's just some things you can't get across. Like you can get a lot across visually, but some things you can't easily.
1: True. Uh, Sam is checking in from Disney World and says, "Is this movie about drunken college escapades?" No, it's not. But. (laughs) Uh, the next, the movie we're gonna review tonight has drinking in it.
2: <laughs> there's a there's an orgy scene in Event Horizon. It's horrific.
1: It's for, if you wanna call it an orgy, like it's like eating people's arms. There,
2: it's like a weird cannibal orgy. They're like, yeah, it's it's weird.
1: <laughs> yes, the miniseries is very good too. With uh, what's his name, Gary Sinise of The Stand. Uh, that's one of my favorite books, The Stand. Like I read that one uh, a couple times. That's like I don't know, like six hundred pages but it's very good um that and it 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 and the stand are my two favorite books from a king great stuff Mm -hmm. but miss Keelan thank you so much for coming on for this I know uh we're gonna have you on again because you are a plethora of knowledge with films and I like your picks that you were telling me about later so (laughs) we're definitely gonna ask you to come on again (laughs) Tony
2: was like what Um, cool. Yeah. I love being here. This is fun. I like awesome. to nerd out with you guys. Uh, thanks for having me.
1: No, thank you so much thank for coming you. on. Do yeah, you right anything, have anything to plug?
2: Um, well, you guys can always find me on Razzball. My article I write comes out every Saturday, comes out really late, but then they post it like about it on socials the next day. So I always appreciate a like comment, etc. as long as they're nice. Cause if they're mean, then I'll, really internalize it and be very
1: sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys can always find me there. So thanks again for having me. For sure. Thank you so much, Keelan. Have a great night.
2: Yeah, Have you a good
1: guys night. too. Bye. Bye. Bye! Bye. So be sure to follow Keelan over at Razzball and thank her so much for coming on. Um, great pick. When she was telling me her pickstone, like she has a bunch of them that oh. she's like, horrors are her big thing. And she was telling me like, oh man, like well, we have to have you on again because you're in defense. stuff. That are great, but, uh,
0: really, really good, um, stuff, you know, a long time ago when I was doing something different, you know, and she came on and she could talk about killer clowns for 45 minutes. That's what's awesome. You pick a movie and she, she enjoys talking about it. So it's really awesome. Very cool.
1: For sure. For sure. We, we should have her on, like, maybe do some horror stuff with her, maybe yeah, like a whole episode. Please. She's uh, Just like just talking to a plethora of knowledge with movies. And
0: you know, I, I've talked to you multiple times before on how working in horror mm-hmm. stuff, like mm-hmm. tonight, you know, this is kind of horror what we're doing tonight. Um, yes, sir.
1: It's going to be good. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so, Tone, we are going to go into our main event of the evening. We're going to go into From Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, so this movie was I saw maybe I was about maybe 11 or no nah, 11 or 12 uh, it was released in 96 um so when was the first time you saw from Dusk Till dawn
0: oh my friend i think of this story you know i remember you said something to me a couple episodes ago ever you said something about stories and oh i got stories and this story is a good one because um i was actually telling Katie at dinner tonight um there was a theater it was now, no longer around, but inside the theater had a Taco Bell. And I'll never forget, my dad took me, and I got my usual order of two chicken, two steak, and two beef. And I sit down in the theater with my hot sauce, and I, I'm, i this is 1996, I think, it, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is it right here. This is, and the movie starts and I'll never forget looking over at my dad's face when that opening song hits and he's bobbing his head. Like it's like a a, a concert and he's laughing. And honestly, it was like, it was like being in, 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 in at a, at a rock concert, man. And the, that's what I think of this movie is it's, it, it's really, really good on dialogue. It's really good on fun. it, it reminds me of why I liked movies in the first place a whole long time ago,
1: pretty much. Totally, man. Like uh, you, you couldn't have said it even, I you know any better. Like yeah. this movie to me, this movie is two movies in one. It is. Yeah. Uh, and it's masterfully done. It's, it's a movie that I don't think it's enough, uh, you know, praise for the way it's done. Um, Cause the way it, we're going to go into the film breakdown, you know, in our second segment, but just the way it starts off and then it eventually, you know, builds to then the meat and potatoes of the film and then, you know, a climax with the ending. You know, it's done very well and it's shot in Robert Rodriguez, you know, um, the way he shoots his film in close-ups. Uh, it has a great script from the mind of Quentin Tarantino, you know, as well as him acting in it. George Clooney, who was at the time was like only known for ER, you know, and also he, he was Booker on uh, Roseanne and yeah, the reason I say Booker is we, you know, I make fun well, of that is because he had white bowling shoes I mean my brother always laughed about that um if you would
0: ask me right now what was his name on Roseanne I would have told you Booker because my <laughs> my mom always watched Roseanne and I remember him as Booker before this and ER too before this um I also remember really funny at the same time um, a lot of people would go to the barber and they would say, can I please have the Clooney? Because like his haircut was the style when he was around at this time. And I'm looking at it now and it's just literally combed forward a little bit, you know, but give me the Clooney.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing is, he actually cuts his hair with a Floby. <laughs> There's an interview of him talking about how he bought that's a Floby and he still cuts his hair with it. Floby, that's great. Yeah. Um, that. But, you know, this is going to be a fun one to talk about. Let's uh, let's go straight into our development of the film. In my thoughts, I use the technique of positive visualization. So the idea of the film was first made up by Robert Kurtzman. Who is a co-founder of the KMB EFX, a famous Hollywood makeup and special effects company? Uh, Kurtzman wanted to have a vehicle basically to show his, you know, gifts and talents as an effects person. So he wanted to write a film that could basically show that off. Um, He wrote an outline for the film, and then he wanted to find a screenwriter to help him come to the concept. Uh, His good friend at the time. Um, told him about this screenwriter that he knew and his good friend was David Goodman. And Goodman basically said, hey, I know this young kid who's an up and coming guy. He's not really known well, well known, but I'm pretty sure he can uh, he can probably do something for you in terms of, you know, writing a screenplay. And the person he was talking about was a guy who worked at a video store by the name of Quentin Tarantino, which is crazy because
0: that that's so mm-hmm.
1: crazy. And yeah, Quentin's known as the king of dialogue. Uh, which we'll get to is iconic about you know this particular script, but he basically uh, met Quentin, uh, and Quentin showed him actually some scripts he had been working on. Uh, one was True Romance, the other was Natural Born Killers. Um, Kurtzman loved the scripts, like he's like, man, this is awesome. He goes, how about I hire you for fifteen hundred dollars to write me a screenplay and script for this film? And this was actually Tarantino's first screenplay uh, <coughs> job in Hollywood. like His first big time job. So it was pretty cool that this was his first gig. Uh, they also made a deal because he knew that Tarantino wanted to do the film Reservoir Dogs. Now back in the day, Tarantino had the vision to just fifteen $15,000 to just shoot the film himself. But until Harvey Keitel saw the script and then the rest is history. Well, Kurtzman told him, you write this script for me and I'll do the FX for Reservoir Dogs that ear scene. I'll do it for you, for free. Whoa. So the ear scene from Reservoir Dogs is because of he wrote the script for from Dust Till Dawn. Now, this of course was prior to and um, the early nineties. Reservoir Dogs came out. Nobody would touch this film because they thought the was film was too violent and vulgar, which it is. <laughs> um, Tarantino eventually went out to go sell Reservoir Dogs and shot off like a rocket um, selling of Truth Romance and then Natural Born Killers. And then came this little film called Pulp Fiction, which he wrote and directed. And when that popped off, people were all over Quentin Tarantino. They wanted everything from Tarantino. They wanted his scripts. They wanted him to direct. Uh, Universal Studios was actually interested in this film as a sequel to Demon Knight and mm-hmm. to be part of the Tales of the Crypt trilogy but they passed on it to make Bordillo of Blood and that's funny that Bordillo of Blood's mentioned because there's somebody on Twitter when you post these great polls who's talking about Bordillo of Blood the past couple times and he's like "Is that can I still watch the first Tales of Crypt and watch Bordillo of Blood since it's a you know, movie of the day which I think is funny Bordillo of Blood has Dennis Miller in it and it's not that great of a sequel but it just cracks me up <laughs>
0: Bordello Blood again, it falls into the cheesy horror that I, it's got Corey Feldman in it. Um, I, I, it's, 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 of course, it's not at the level of this, but because I think I got to see it in the movie theater, um, just like Demon Knight and this. So it's very lucky that I was able to see all a lot of these in the movie theater to say, and at the age where you're like, wow, this is, this is really cool.
1: Yeah, man. Um, totally. Uh, But with this, so we have now we have the script is picked up by Miramax and they're looking for a director for this. So according to Quentin Tarantino, Rennie Harlan and Tony Scott of the great uh, films, True Romance, and uh, were the first directors who showed interest in directing the film and then kind of tapered off. Uh, When it was sold to Miramax, Tarantino actually went back to Crutzman and said, hey, man, why don't you direct this film? And he's like, I can't. I'm I'm working on other films. I'm kind of busy. I'm not going to have time to, to do it. So then Tarantino is like, well, maybe I'll do it. You know, I'll do this as an in-between uh, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. And then he's like, man, I don't know if I can do it. I've been, you know, pretty swamped. And plus, I'm acting in this movie. <laughs> I don't know if I can do all three. So he happened to meet a particular person at a film festival in Toronto, and that person's name was Robert Rodriguez, who was there showing his film at Mariachi while Tarantino was promoting his film Reservoir Dogs. Uh, after this meeting, they began to bounce ideas off each other, and they became very, very close friends and will go on to work together in the films after this, uh, with Tarantino even appearing in the smash hit Desperado prior to this film as one of the people that pick up uh, the drugs and eventually gets killed tells like a hilarious joke at the bar. Uh, so they would eventually go on to direct parts in the anthology film for rooms, which each would them directed the story part of it. Uh, Tarantino basically showed Robert the script to this and Rodriguez loved it and signed on right away. And of course he was working with his friends. So he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, Rodriguez has stated that he wanted to meld his of this film with Tarantino's while also paying tribute to the horror genre. As horror was kind of tapering off around this time, we had Alien 3 released a couple years prior and then eventually Alien Resurrection. So horror was kind of in this strange place where we're still trying to find itself again for a next horror hit. Uh, You you know, Scream was probably the next thing that revived it from Wes Craven. And this is another film that doesn't get, you know, the love it should get as kind of like rejuvenating or the time, would you agree, Tom?
0: I would definitely agree, and I would, you know, again, it's revitalizing a, a um, you know, a, a genre in a cool, in a different way. I mean, this is a different kind of vampire movie than I think vampire movies before that,
1: yeah, to- totally. And you know, Sc- like Scream and this movie came out the same year, so like Scream's gonna get most of the praise, but like this film should get you yeah. know the same kind of praise in some ways. Uh, So as of now we have our director set, we have our script set. Next, we're going to go into our casting. Like who's going to play these characters? So the lead character of Seth Gecko was originally a role that Tarantino had offered John Travolta. He pitched it to him. Now Tarantino is really known for trying to get people who are kind of like falling off or you know kind of like in their twilight of their careers. He wants to rejuvenize and he wants to have them like get big again. So he offered Travolta this role and Travolta saw this role. And then he saw Tarantino was like, well, I have this other movie called Pulp Fiction. You know, would you be interested in any of these? And he's like, I really don't want to do a vampire movie, but let me see what this Pulp Fiction movie is about. And either way, I think I don't think he would have did well as Seth in this film. I think Pulp Fiction was the perfect opportunity for him to okay. become a big star again. And as I say, the rest is history. Um, the role was even offered to Antonio Banderas due to being Robert Rodriguez's man from Desperado. Uh, they offer Steve Buscemi the role, Robert De Niro, Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> oh, uh, Michael Madsen, of course, Tim Roth, Christopher Walken again makes an appearance as being offered the role of Seth Gecko. Can you imagine him as Seth Gecko in this movie? Uh,
0: uh, no, I'm back to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> um, I remember a really quick, a Saturday night live where it was celebrity jeopardy Mm. and David Duchovny played Jeff Goldblum. It was, it was really ridiculous because of his mannerisms, of course, but imagining his mannerisms in this movie, maybe as honestly, I'd see him as Tarantino's role, maybe
1: possibly. Yeah. Uh, The funny thing is, uh, Goldblum actually critiqued that performance by Duke Cabney, and he loved it.
0: Oh, awesome!
1: He's pretty, uh, pretty hilarious. That's great. Um, but, uh, also, you know, they offered the role to James Woods, who, again, a person who was in horror movie, he did vampires with John Carpenter, um, another great actor, crazy person, but great actor. Uh, and they all couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts. Uh, Joseph Pilato was actually. Cast as Seth. Now, Joseph Pilato is actually, you might remember him from uh, as Dean Martin from Pulp Fiction. He was in Day of the Dead as Henry Captain Henry Rhodes. That's probably his most famous role. Um, he was also in Dawn of the Dead too, as a smaller part, but as Captain Rhodes, who gets eaten by the zombies. <laughs> that's and was a complete dick in that film. That's where he was from, and he was cast as Seth, and to the point where it was he was actually shown in the early trailers for the film before, this is prior to Robert Rodriguez. When Robert Rodriguez came on, they recast their role, but he was actually the original Seth. And you can actually watch his uh, trailer on YouTube if you look it up. It's um, basically like, it's kind of like an audition, but they you say it's a trailer. Mm-hmm. And it's prior to the Rodriguez vision, but it's kind of crazy that Seth almost was somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tarantino, now that they have Rodriguez on, he's still trying to cast his role. He was watching ER, and he saw George Clooney. And he's the character of Dr. Robert Meacham. And he thought it would be hilarious that to see a character that saves lives on TV be a yeah, person yeah. that sent people to the ER in this film. And he offered it to George Clooney. And the rest, they say, is history, as he accepted. Uh, Clooney, of course, added his own little element to the, to the role. Uh, he added a lot. And he also had the element of the tattoo on his arm, which was inspired by the film Once Were Warriors. Uh, So if you're wondering why George Clooney's character has a tattoo, it's because he thought of it and decided to do that. Which I think is funny. (laughs) Richie, of course, was always intended to be Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Tarantino, like I said, was originally going to direct and decide it was just too much for him. Uh, Which is ironic that he wrote the script and he knew he was playing the role because Tarantino is known as the king of dialogue. But his character, Richie has very little dialogue in the film. (laughs) And by the time Quentin figured this out and realized this he's like shit it's too late to do a rewrite so that's why he doesn't talk as much so it's ironic that the king of dialogue didn't even give himself enough dialogue in his own film uh Harvey Keitel was cast as Jacob Fuller due to his past relationship with Tarantino for working on Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction um he also received top billing for this film which as you understand this is Clooney's first breakout role uh Ernest Lou was cast as Scott Fuller now Ernest Liu is kind of like an unknown actor, but one cool thing about his character is he wears a shirt that says Precinct 13 on it in central writing. Mm -hmm. And this is a nod to our boy, John Carpenter, before the assault on Precinct 13, uh, which they're trying to play homage to because they're both big John Carpenter fans, Tarantino and Rodriguez, that is. And that's awesome. And I just just love how Carpenter is somewhere and related to what we've been talking about. Even uh, Russell was in our defensive segment with event horizon it's just cool how they keep coming up and like are inner tw- you know intertwined with what we're talking about um great awesome cool. stuff yes and chich marin having a relationship with Robert Rodriguez and having done desperado the year before as the bartender was cast in three roles he plays the border guard uh, chet who's the person that basically tries to get people into the club and Carlos the guy at the end they're trying to meet a sex machine was originally supposed to be a muscular guy <laughs> and scarred, but they decided to cast a more slender character and deadly character. Uh, so there, as a character, of sex machine it was almost supposed, supposed to be so the the role of sex machine and frost were two roles that were switched. Frost became the more muscular character, while sex machine became the, the slender, deadly character. The role was given to. The king of makeup and horror and a legend, Tom Savini. Mm. Who stayed wow. awesome. Yes. Who has stated he had to do the hard job of watching of watching Selma Hayek do the snake dance for three days. so <laughs> it was excruciating to watch that. Uh, <laughs> Savini is also a horror veteran and a legend in that industry. As he did the Donald Dead Makeup and other films, he did uh, Fluffy from Creep Show, the in the crates. In the, the crate, the animatronic animal is actually what he created. He's actually shown it on TV. He's done countless films. Um, and that's why he was eventually cast because they want, again, wanted to pay tribute to the horror genre while casting him. Uh, Salma Hayek was cast as Santianical Panemonium, who, when originally reading the script, she said she was afraid of snakes and didn't know if she could do it. Rodriguez, being Rodriguez, was like, hey, we got Madonna about to take this role. So if you don't do it, she's going to take it. Hayek was like, okay, I'll do it. And then after she accepted it, she went to two months of therapy to get rid of her fear of snakes, which I think is pretty funny.
0: Really quick. um, Back to Savini really quick. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen um, a 1977 vampire movie by George Romero called Martin? Yes, I have. Uh, he was the special effects on that. So it's cool that, you know, you know, that's not from Dustal Dawn, but again, special effects, you know, his special effects are all over the place. And it's cool. Um, you know, him in the movie, just acting, you know. Because he's been on The Simpsons,
1: correct? I believe so, yes. Yeah, it's like a character or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been an aqua team, Hunger Force. I mean, he, uh, Tom Savini, like when you think of horror like Creep Show two, he's the he was a, he's the creep in Creep Show yeah. Two. That's awesome. Um, he also did Creep Show with uh, the original one. He was the Garbage Man Maniac, you know. Martin, of course, he was Arthur in Martin. You know, he's he's his he has his own school for special effects makeup, and there, it's considered one of the best schools there is, and where you get real, real good training and real, real hands-on experiences because he makes them do stuff that he has to do in movies to prepare them. Uh, so he's a legend in just that aspect. And also, he's very hilarious. Like, if you ever listen to his um, interviews? He, like, he's very, very down-to-earth and he's oh, yeah. very humble, but he makes fun of himself a lot,
0: which I <laughs> think then, is right. And then you said Selma Hayek. I mean, yeah, the casting of her in this movie. I'm not yes. underseeing anybody else in the role besides, you know, besides no. her.
1: And then again, this is right off her when she just got in with Desperado. She just, this is right off the Desperado fame. So, um, I think she did this and then she did Fool's Russian, which is another movie I like of hers. It with the uh, late Matthew Perry, um, so Fred Williamson was cast as Frost, a character that you never hear his name as, but he um, is in the film as Frost, and he was cast due to being in the black blaxplo- black exploitation films uh, and in horror, which is basically uh, a African American uprising of film characters in the seventies that were more powerful and making them lead something that hadn't been done in a, in a while and. Fred Williamson was actually, you know, one of the first people to make them popular as a very strong African-American lead in action, which is what always, if you look at Quentin Tarantino and his history, you know, Jackie Brown, he brought back um, Pam Greer, who was really big in the 70s, you know, yeah. and he brought her back. And, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is person he constantly casts. You know, it's just when it comes to like the older careers he tries to revive them and he wanted to pay homage to all the great work he's did so he cast him as frost uh, very strange character in the film
0: oh, yeah. my uh, my buddy I'm in 7th grade a, a gentleman came into class and he pretty much i'm thinking back to him he was like tarantino in seventh grade but he would like rattle off to me even in seventh grade oh fred williamson he was in these movies in the 70s they were called exploitation movies and i'd be like oh and then jackie brown came out and he's like this is what i'm talking about this is pam greer and so all this stuff goes all the way back to me to like seventh grade of hearing how cool fred williamson is and looking at those boxes and movies and the titles I wish I can get those posters and that could be my background behind me and the show is just mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Fred Williamson, but he, he does a great job in the movie though. Yeah. Um,
1: he's a, uh, he, he, his character, we'll go into like, his scene, but mm-hmm. like his character is, he's out there. Uh, oh, yes. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it's just, I just love the way they do that. They came together with this cast, you know, and of course, razor Charlie, who's the bartender is played by Danny Trejo who was fresh off his role in Desperado. Also around this time, he just discovered while he was filming Desperado that he was cousins, uh, second cousins with Robert Rodriguez. to something he didn't know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and then the role of Pete Bottoms, who's the person at the liquor store, was actually offered to Tim Roth and Steve Buscemi, but they couldn't fit into their schedules because they turned down the role of Seth. So he tried to get him in a smaller role, but they still couldn't do it. So uh, John Hawks took the role. And when I think of John Hawks, I, I think of two things. One, Deadwood, because mm-hmm. he's a, the second lead in Deadwood. And I think of this movie with Keanu Reeves called Hardball, where he plays Tiki, his gambling addicted friend.
0: When I think of John Hawks, I think of he plays Kenny Power's brother on um, Eastbound and Down. Yes. And then currently right now, he is really doing a scary good job on the new season of True Detective. But, I mean, I've seen him in so many things. The things you said, too, he's great in. Um, what was funny watching, re-watching this um, this week was I knew he was in it, but just to see maybe how young he is compared to maybe some other movies, things I've seen him in. So it's awesome that John Hawks took the role, you know, over. I mean, I've seen Buscemi and Roth and so many awesome things that this little role wouldn't have made them any cooler than they already are, where John Hawks being in the role, I think, is Gives him a little more stake in something awesome.
1: (sighs) Yep, and you know that's that's kind of like a nice little. And he played; he's very in there for like maybe I think fifteen minutes of the movie. If if that's that's like too much, but like he does a great job, and he his character is actually pretty funny too. Artist, his interactions with Tarantino. Uh, But yeah, he's so young, and another actor that doesn't get enough roses, extremely, extremely well. Um. And to round out the casting, we have Earl McGraw, who plays the uh, sheriff, Michael Parks. Uh, more on him later when we go into our film uh, breakdown. And then the band uh, is played by Tito and the Tarantula, Friends of Rodriguez. And they're also known, well, Tito Tito Letaria is also known from Cruzados, which was in a film that you and I both love known as. Roadhouse, yes, he's uh the that's person so- that sings "Don't Throw Stones" in the, in the film,
0: <laughs> and I love that song a lot. Mm-hmm. And I love the Tito and the Tarantula song. And so when I first found out that that was both of them, I wish you would have saw my face. It was like I won the lotto. And it, it's just two guys, a guy making two songs from two movies. But man, that's so cool that he is in both of these.
1: Yes, yeah, too cool. iconic. Like, and you know, he Tito actually scored Desperado. Oh, he, he yeah, scored the, the 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 film.
0: Music man, and um, I didn't even know that. That's awesome. yeah.
1: So he wrote. I I think he had a play and says what tracks would be used for this film too. Uh, yeah. just an awesome guy. Like I love his music. Uh, Back to the House, Love Built, and from Desperado is like one of my favorite songs from the like, soundtracks. Great soundtrack uh, to Desperado, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another great song. Oh well, man, we, you, you I, don't I love, that. I love the uh Dire Straight song on there,
0: Six, Six Blade Knife. Oh, yes. that's, that's my song right there. But it, again, but I, I know his recent movies haven't been, you know, as high tech, but there was a time where, I mean, Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino were the same thing to me because of his filmmaking style. And he still is really good, but. You
1: know, yeah, I, I would say that Tarantino has kind of got more of the star. He does. That's uh, like shineham but also Tar- it's because Tarantino's films are limited in terms of he's only delivered like nine films. He's about to direct his tenth. Rodriguez has gone in from all different, and like he's a person of a jack of all trades. He he's,
0: like eight Spy Kids movies. Yeah, spy so kid. Like if he didn't put that time in the Spy Kids, you know, mm-hmm. but that's what's awesome about him. even he uh, made them
1: for his kids. Hostel, he was a you know hostile. He with Eli Roth, he wrote some of that he's done uh he he also did the uh double feature with tarantino Uh, um so
0: i like i actually like planet terror more than death proof personally
1: but that's well i like i like them both but i like death proof and i'm pretty sure you know you know why because oh well that's right i forgot my guys are there there, but that's for i do like both of them though but um yeah so both very extremely talented Uh, uh rodriguez just doesn't get the you know yeah uh as much as respect. I don't say as respect. I say more of a, he doesn't get the spotlight as much as Tarantino because of and Tarantino's. That's, like, that's why history. I picked
0: it this week because I thought, you know, he deserves a little spotlight. So
1: that was very cool. For sure. Uh, and to round up, you know, our development, there were some crew and issues, uh, crew issues and also set issues with this film. Uh, the production of Dust Till Dawn was set back a lot of times due to um, the exterior set of the strip club being burned down and had to be rebuilt. Uh, there was a bunch of dust storms where they were filming and the film's use of a non-union crew led to a threat of a strike. Mm-hmm. So Rodriguez is known for using non-union crew members on his sets. Uh, I don't know if it's a budget thing. I never, He never really explains it, but he uses them for his sets. And this film budget was, I believe, $25 million. And due to that, uh, they, it's very rare for a film over, under, over 15 million to not have a unionized crew. So when this came out, a lot of people were threatening to strike because <laughs> you know how you're not using, using union crew members and I am pro union. So I understand why, but it's just kind of weird that he, maybe cause he was wanting to have the aura of the, he was coming from a low budget filmmaker. Maybe, maybe that's why. Uh, but it's really interesting. Um, so that's our development of the film. So, like, what stuck out to you in terms of like the developing of this film?
0: Well, for me, again, back to the the casting. I'm always a big fan of it. reimagining. Like recently, um, this week on the it's getting drafty, they were redrafting characters from Saturday Night Live and the roles of Star Wars. So, like in this case, you just telling me all of those actors. I got the whole movies already played in my head with them in that role. It's always like that. So like, I see Jeff Goldblum, I see James Woods, you know, the problem is, is that these, I also know the way audiences are. So like, Would James Woods, because I saw Vampires, and unfortunately, it's a good movie, but it it didn't do the best at the box office. So, like, would James Woods bring the people in for this movie? Probably not, whereas Clooney coming off of that ER run was such a great casting that uh, Danny Trejo, though, for me, as the bartender, sticks is always going to stick out as an amazing casting because... It, we'll get into it when we, we talk about the movie It's just so great
1: No, for sure, for sure you know? um, But yeah, I mean, you you <laughs> basically let us in So let's get into uh, the film develop- breakdown See the arc? He
0: starts down here
1: He ends up here Where's my arc, boy? So we're going to break down the film and we're going to go through not every scene, but we're going to go through pivotal points within the movie. So the film opens up at Benny's world of liquor, (laughs) where we see Earl McGraw, who is a sheriff, and he's buying his usual liquor at his usual spot. Uh, This opens up. It's kind of funny because we see him just talk, just bullshitting both Earl and John Hawks, who plays the liquor store vendor Pete Bottoms. We So they're just bullshitting and he walks away and then we see the Gecko Brothers played by Seth and Richie holding a hostage and scaring the hell out of John Hawks. Uh, this kind of sets the tone for the two characters. You can see they're both ruthless in terms of, you know, people you don't want to be messed with. Uh, you also see how ruthless, more ruthless the other one is, more violent more violence the other one is in terms of Richie. And it also opens up an interesting aspect to the film because the character of Earl McGraw, who's played by Michael Parks, is killed by Richie because Richie believes that John Hawks was signaling to him, help him, which he wasn't. But in Richie's mind, he he just wanted to kill the person. He thinks that he was. Michael Parks plays the character Earl McGraw, and this character actually appears in Kill Bill, Death Proof, and Planet Terror. So, this film is a prequel uh, uh, to. No, this film's a a sequel to all those films. Those all take place before this film because this character dies, which I think is pretty funny. That's that's great. (laughs) Yeah. Another funny part is when Pete Bottoms and. George Clooney, are talking, Seth. He says, don't worry, don't worry. You should get a fucking Academy Award for acting natural. <laughs> and 15 years later, John Hawks was actually nominated for Academy Award for his supporting role in Bone. So I guess he was a bit little Clooney, Clooney-Domus or Nacho-Domus there.
0: Sure. Just a little bit, just a <laughs> little bit.
1: So when the sheriff is killed by Richie, they begin to argue Richie and Pete Bottoms. Pete Biles basically is saying, I didn't say what you're saying. And Richie just basically shoots him in the chest to where he brings out his gun from his safe and shoots Richie in the hand, which I think is some really cool uh, social effects because you can actually see the hole through his hand as he looks at it. Um, And and they basically indulge in a gunfight to the point where George Clooney's character gets pissed and has Richie shoot out the water, the liquor bottles behind him and setting it on fire with a roll of toilet paper. What'd you think of that whole like transition there i thought it was
0: um because again the mouth thing and then he goes back of course when i first seen it or whatever i'm thinking in my head how could the cop not have heard him in the bathroom Mm -hmm. having any kind of interaction for the minutes and going back but he doesn't he comes back out and he shoots him but the way Clooney, i mean uh tarantino's actually almost out the door when he turns around and gets shot by Hawks, because Hawks is going for the uh, the safe, mm. and it's just the way he catches it in his hand is is, is very very uh, I, is different in the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Uh, I think you know, for when I first saw this film, seeing this scene, you're like, "Am I watching the right film?" Because it's this is a totally like I said, these are two different movies. In one, like you're starting off with a with a you know a crime story, and you're seeing you know the character arc, and it's something that we naturally don't see in a lot of horror movies is like a nice building of characters, and you're seeing what kind of people these two Gecko brothers are. Um, you mm-hmm. you eventually learn they're like they're thieves and murderers, but you see how one's aggressive and George Clooney, and his brother is a, basically a psychopath who either has mental issues. Uh, in terms of or he just wanted to kill him and made up a story of him mopping to the police, which they did you uh, when they show the you know scene, he's not doing it. He's basically trying to get the cop out. so they can let the hostage, the two girls go that they're holding hostage. But, yeah, it totally like it just sets the tone for the film. And then we transfer into the drive as they're driving away. And as they drive away, Tarantino's basically taping up his bloody hand. Uh, with duct tape, which I thought was hilarious. And they pan to the back and they show they actually have a hostage in the trunk. They go to a hotel and they meet this hotel owner who's played by Mark Lawrence, who's known for Diamonds Are Forever and the man with the golden gun. And it's a nice little interaction they have between each other. You no, know, he's like, what the hell do you want? He's like, <laughs> he goes, I want a room, old man. And he's like, oh. And he just gets and they go the room. And Here is where we kind of see like the dynamic between the two brothers and how they operate. Cooney tells the hostage this. Don't you ever try and fucking run on us. Because I got six little friends. We can all run faster than you can. (laughs) Which I think is an iconic line. He pulls a gun to her. And to me like Clooney was known for playing Clooney was known for playing like funny characters, like compassionate characters, and I think he knocks it out of the park as playing kind of like a dangerous person in this film. He does. So, after they get settled in, Clooney tells, Seth tells Richie he's going to go get some food and kind of stake out the situation and see, you know, how's the temperature, or where they're at, like, is are they on them, where they're at, or what? Tarantino, Richie. Proceeds to go on the bed of the hotel, turn on the TV and tells the hostage, do you want to watch cartoons with me or TV with me? And reluctantly, she's scared of her mind after she was just threatened to not listen. But she was told by Seth that she would live if she just listened to what they were saying. Mm -hmm. She goes and lays, basically sits against the backboard with him on the bed. And we cut to the introduction of the fuller family But prior to this we actually see a newscast and we see an a row newscaster by basically interviewing fbi agents that newscaster is played by kelly preston the wife of john travolta and the way she got this role was tarantino just offered it to her when he was in pulp fiction <laughs> he was in her, their trailer and he's like hey i got this movie i might make you want you want a small role in it and she's like sure so he basically gave it to her on the set of Pulp Fiction. She uh, and she uh, took the role. And the John Saxon plays the FBI agent. Now you know who John Saxon is, right, Tom? Oh yeah, John Saxon is he's
0: Friday the Thirteenth, correct? I'm not Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare no. on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I made I got too excited there. When
1: <laughs> yeah, John Saxon is known for Nightmare on the Elm Street. He's the uh, the police officer who loses his his uh, daughter she gets murdered but uh another great character you know actor that does again yeah. does not get uh you know into the, the dragon yes into the dragon oh my god i love that movie
0: i know i know you always, gotta, <laughs> if you are in a martial arts i mean you gotta like got the dragon
1: he's also in a um, a film with clint eastwood called joe Kid, a good oh, Western,
0: really good movie Big, big Western fan, like like lots of Westerns. But again, um, it's cool seeing those and then seeing them in this, you know, mm-hmm. a stretch between different genres. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess Nightmare on Elm Street and this are both horror, but different kinds of horror. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so we go to the introduction of the Fuller family after we see the newscast and we see our character of Jacob Fuller played by Harry Keitel with his family, Ernest as Scott Fuller, and Juliette Lewis as Kate Fuller. Uh, Kate was cast, um, Juliette Lewis was cast due to her friendship with Quirantino. Uh She would also go on to be in his other film, Natural Born Killers, uh, which are two totally different um, characters. But in here, she plays kind of a timid church girl, uh, the daughter of Harvey Keitel. And basically, he's talking to his family. There's, he's saying he's tired. He wants to go to a hotel. He doesn't want to sleep in his RV. Um, we kind of get a little backstory on him. Why he's, they're basically out. He's basically taking his family to get away to Mexico to get away. Uh, he, his son, and his daughter, he left his parish uh, at church due to the death of his wife. And we don't know why, how his wife passed away, but he's kind of like losing his faith and just wants to get away for a little bit. Uh, we then come back to seth coming back to the hotel with the burgers and Mm -hmm. which is actually a big kahuna burger which is another Mm -hmm. staple of quentin tarantino films which is you know the red apple cigarettes big kahuna burger which they have and you know uh, several of his movies as the characters are eating he doesn't like to lose name brand so it's kind of cool that they actually add this in here that's cool so when Seth comes back, he basically he's talking to Richie and Richie's like, he says, Richie, what happened on the TV? And Richie tells him, oh, they said they're going to catch us in a couple 48 hours. And he just laughs. And as he's giving, giving his the burger to Richie, he grabs his own burger and he has another one in his hand and he's looking for the hostage. He goes, where is, you know, the girl? And he's like, oh, she's in the room. He's like, well, what the hell is she doing in there? You got to keep your eye on her. And okay. then he opens the door to find the hostage brutally murdered and assaulted. And I think this scene right here is a really good character builder scene for Seth and for Richie. Also, I love the way this scene is shot because...
0: That's what I was going to say, the way the film is shot. I mean, those other things are great too, but the way he Mm -hmm. shoots at this part.
1: (laughs) Yes, like it's basically shot in flashes. So you don't see the body until the very end of the scene, but it's like as he's talking to Richie, saying what happened, there's flashes of like the bloodiness, the brutality of the scene. And this again shows Richie's brutality. It also shows Seth having some morals because he tells him, I'm a thief. I only kill people that need to be killed. I don't kill innocent people or people that don't deserve to be killed. Uh, You know, he attacks Richie and eventually calms down and saying, is this his fault for what's happening? Why are you doing this? Are you trying to be like me? You think I'm a killer? Is this my fault? You think that's the way I run things? And it shows that character build with both of them. You know, Richie's a complete psycho, and Seth is basically he's a, he's a bad guy, but he's not that bad. Uh, which I thought was kind of nice to play of the dynamic between the two. Yeah. Prior to coming with the burgers, he saw the Fuller family pulling in with their RV. They almost hit him with a car, which their car, which actually kind of cracks <laughs> me up. While he drink, while he's drinking a beer, he just looks at him and walks to That's his. The way it looks at him, yeah. He, uh, so he has. Richie goes to the room and asks for a bucket of ice for his lady friend. What is this? That punch is great. And then the whole, you know, play back and forth. Oh, I have a lady friend in my room. Can you? uh, (laughs) So they basically go in. They take over that room. They punch him in the face. They threaten his family. He puts a gun in his son's mouth. His daughter is in the bathroom. He says something. He thinks of vulgar terms that she's telling him, which doesn't really happen. But in his mind, it does. Uh, we basically, um, George Clooney basically tells him, Jacob, listen, you see the way my uh, brother's looking at your daughter? He's like, you know, you, we need to get to Mexico and you're going to take us in your RV. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. He reluctantly agrees And then we get an iconic saying from George Clooney as he goes to get Kate out of the bathroom while Richie goes to the car.
0: Time's up, princess. Here we go. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling.
1: And why is that iconic? Because it's from another film that was just directed three years prior, four years prior, in the name of Reservoir Dogs, and it's said by Joe.
0: All right, ramblers, let's get rambling.
1: Before they leave the... Restaurant in the beginning of the movie when they're talking about Madonna and tipping, that's what Joe says before they leave, and I thought it was really funny. I caught that because I'm like, that's totally Tarantino. You could tell it's totally Tarantino writing. Yeah, so boy. he kind of carries over little bits from his previous movies. Um, it's to me, it's hilarious that they had that in there. And I, I the more and more, I watch the movie again over and over again. The more little things I see, uh, this scene right here is pretty scary though because, you know, he puts the gun in the child's mouth and then when they agree he's like okay you'll be you know everything's gonna be cool you'll live again Seth tells him you'll live he gives him his word nothing's gonna happen to them if they just follow him and uh, Richie's plan to take them to Mexico because they're trying to get away from the police and they're supposed to meet somebody there so eventually the family goes and travels over you know to the border and they get stopped by the border patrol but prior to that Juliet Lewis's character Kate's asking what's in Mexico
0: where are you taking
1: us Mexico What's in Mexico? Mexicans. And that line always cracks me up because he's like dead serious just looking at her. And then uh, during that whole transition of dialogue, you hear George Clooney's character, Seth, tell him to put his retainer in. <laughs> and he and like he puts it in and Scott Fuller is laughing at him. <laughs> and he's like, I grind my teeth, which is it's just hilarious to me. Um, they eventually make it to the border where we find our first appearance of Chich Marine as the border patrol. When they first talk to the border patrol guard, they tell him, Jacob Fuller tells him, I'm here with my son. And I'm taking him to get his first bullfight, see so his first bullfight. But he hears something in the back and he's like, Oh, it's my daughter. He's like, You were traveling with your You told me you were just traveling with your son. He's like, Oh, I met my daughter as well. Red flag. <laughs> and as they're coming up into the RV to invest to investigate it and inspect. George Clooney knocks his brother out because he won't shut up, which I think is I hilarious.
0: That. I love that whole scene. Rich shit.
1: <laughs> so describe it, Tony. Describe what they like how it happens.
0: So there, so the guys come <laughs> first. Cheech is amazing in this scene because he's playing a total straight character, even, even his dialect is different than in other roles. He goes up on there and the best is he opens all before that they're jawing each other back and forth and what's cool is by the time Cheech gets to the bathroom in the small walk she's already like sitting on the toilet he's knocked out into the shower and Clooney's like just standing there but like everybody's cool and the way she says you know can I get some in privacy you know it's just just such a great you know, because Cheese is just like I'm okay, and shuts the thing, and then gets off of the 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 RV. It's great. Yeah,
1: he he's actually a really big perv in the scene. He is, big, he is. He like looks up and really... down, and then when he's closing the the curtain, he's like yeah, he looking. Just... <laughs> like, it's like so like it it's is, like a straight up perv. Very, but um, pretty. you could see Clooney in the shower with the with the gun pointed at her, and they eventually get paid the border, which I thought was hilarious. Like, wouldn't you? I know there's somebody in there, but they would tell her to usually come out. going <laughs> but. You know, this was back in the 90s. So I yeah. guess they didn't really care. Yeah, they didn't. And they are out. They are in the clear. He tells them, hey, you got to drive down this road. And you have to make a left when you get to a certain street and drive a couple miles. And we're going to go to this bar called the Titty Twister. Mm-hmm. And the first appearance of the Titty Twister, when you first see it, Tone, what was your thoughts about it?
0: Uh, what was my thoughts about it? It's, it's like wishing that you were asking me where we were going tomorrow. <laughs> night, and I said the titty twister, just the name, the way the smoke and the fire and everything, it looks. And again, back to that original theater experience. Like my dad is, looks like he wishes he was there too. And I'm only <laughs> like, and I, and I know that and I'm only in like seven, three, you know, eighth grade or whatever. But that's, that's, What's awesome about the movie is that you get the first half like you were saying, which is just like straight up road movie, cool shooting, great dialogue. And now we're going to slip into this the second half, which has all of what the first half has. But now we're going to add the horror element to it.
1: You
0: know, just yeah. all around really good.
1: Yes. Uh, and I just got a message from somebody who told me it's my brother who told me that the line that Seth tells Stephen the sun, uh, when they pass the border, is hilarious. We made it to Mexico, you little fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line. But he's really excited. Like uh, his Clooney is awesome in this film. Like he's hilarious. He has a there's Clooneyisms in here where he, you know, ramblers. Let's get rambling. There's another another uh, line of dialogue I'll talk about that he says. Uh, that's pretty funny. You know, the Titty Twister is like basically a, a bar with a bunch of bikers and truckers and you see flames shooting out. You see the Cheech in his second role as Chet saying some vulgar things and trying to promote people to come in to come see the strippers. Uh, you see uh, Clooney and Richie basically tell the people in the, the you know camper, hey, we're going to go in and we're going to meet Carlos in the morning. We're going to go in there. And we're going to drink until Carlos comes. And then we'll let you guys go. And he's like, I'm really happy right now. And basically he says one of his cluny which is. So if everybody just keeps playing it cool, and I'm probably you too, Richie. And Everybody's going to get what they want.
0: Okay, hard drinkers. Let's drink hard. I'm fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hard drinkers. Let's drink hard. <laughs> and I really love that like line. I love that whole dialogue because not, not for what's said, entirely but just like the hard guitar riff in the background oh, doom, yeah. doom, doom. this soundtrack is like
0: awesome i uh i got the cd when i <laughs> i needed the soundtrack just like the pulp fiction soundtrack because as you stated i mean it's got everything from the blasters to zz top to tito mm-hmm. and the tarantulas to stevie i'm um, a huge one of my favorite stevie ray vaughn songs is willie the wimp Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's 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 just a lot of awesomeness into the movie it, it, in that in that regard is the music. It's great.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the, the, like I said, the iconic scene, they go up, they leave the camper and they go into the entrance where there's basically a meet Chet who says some more vulgar things to them. Uh, no. He tries to stop them from going in to where George Clooney breaks his hand basically turning his hand in like around and you hear the cracks and then punches him in the face. He falls to the floor to where he's like, I, do I check out now? Walks in. And I love when Tarantino comes back and is like, Hey, how you doing? Well, he's kicking him. You like it? Good. And then he walks back in and uh, Chet's character is basically laying on the floor like, Oh, <laughs> and then we go in and we see the iconic look of the titty twister, which is basically their strippers all around on pillars there's strippers on tables. There's a band playing. You know, of course, Tito and Tranches is playing. And the funny thing is about the band, which I don't know if you know, still, still, and of course, we see Robert Rodriguez in the band. Mm-hmm. He was a good friend of Tito. La mm-hmm. And then we see a particular drummer. And you know who that drummer is? I do not. That's Johnny Vatos Hernandez. And he was in Oingo Boingo. He's right. the drummer of Oingo Boingo.
0: And I and honestly, if you would have just just you saying the name there, it I already knew who it was because he's an amazing drummer and Ongo Boingo. I actually talked about the album just on this recent. Uh, yeah, album.
1: that's it so, that was yeah,
0: funny. That's crazy. That's really crazy.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um They first meet the appearance of Razor Charlie, who is played by Danny Trejo as the bartender. They ask for. A, Seth comes up and asks he wants whiskey, to which. The bartender, Charlie, pours a shot of whiskey and takes it himself and says, You're not welcome here because this place is only for truckers and for bikers. To where Seth says, I'm not one here. And this is where Seth, you show the character of Seth and his anger. And somebody, somebody comes and grabs him behind him. A bouncer comes to grab him to <laughs> throw him out. To where Seth says, I'm going to count to three. And this is where Jacob intervenes and says, Hey, you're saying this is for truckers. If you look outside, you can see my camper out there and you have to have a class two license. So I am a trucker. <laughs> and I just love the way Trey was like looking at him and he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, okay, um, bottle of whiskey and three bottles. He gives him the whiskey. And then he's like, hey, to be a dick, Seth asks him, hey, Jose, how's the food here?
0: Yeah, this is the best line in the whole movie. <laughs> I was about to ask you, wait, <laughs> right? Yeah, this is the, my favorite
1: line. Yeah, he's like, well, he's like, how's the food here? And he tells him, best in Mexico. Yeah. And he goes, I highly doubt it. <laughs> which
0: I, we would always say that line. Well, how's the food here? Best in Mexico. I highly doubt that.
1: <laughs> yeah, which I think is hilarious. And it shows like the play. And they go back and like, this is one of my favorite scenes in the film is when they're drinking these with the whiskey. He gets the daughter to drink and then he tries to get uh, the son to drink. And Jacob's like, no, 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 you're too young. But I like how uh, he gives Kate her first shot and she takes it. And then he goes, to, he goes, okay, round two. And she's like, oh, yes, sir. I'll have another because she's already feeling the effects of the alcohol. Uh, and then that's when he tells uh, Scott, hey, I'll, um, you have to have one. And he's like, no, okay, I'll try it. too. where he eventually gets to have a shot with Jacob who tells him, why are you being so mad about these people touching you? You you won. You're in the border. You're past the border. Like, just enjoy being free. And he thinks about it and it's like, I want you to have a drink with me. (laughs) And he's like, okay, so that's when we have kind of like a bonding scene between him and Jacob. Not saying Jacob completely trusts him, but it's kind of like they see eye to eye. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then we hear the introduction of the great Selma Hayek. And this scene, you know, the band is playing the scene. Mary had a little lamb. Uh, and basically it transitions to her coming out with the snake around her neck. And, you know, it's probably one of the most watched scenes in film history. I know that when they had this scene filmed, just like they did the Desperado, everybody from the set and crew showed up to watch it. Uh, it's probably one of the most, you know, iconic scenes, I would say like in terms of her career, which I think is crazy. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, the music, Again, matching up to the scene, it does not get much better than that.
1: <laughs> no, it, it it's a uh, pretty crazy, like because you know, as San Nico, Santa Nico, the character she plays, you know, her name actually came from a, a gory Mexican horror film, uh, Santa Nico Panemonium that Tarantino had seen like on the shelves of the video store he worked at Mm -hmm. and he asked why he gave her her name she didn't have any choreography for the film so it's all Salma Hayek again she was terrified of snakes but she did the role you know so she's like how should I dance this Robert's like hey just dance to it the best way you can you know feel the music and he did the same thing with Jessica Alba for Sin City So she plays a stripper in there Uh, The song she was supposed to dance to was Down in Mexico by the Coasters, (laughs) but Rodriguez felt that After Dark was better and he had Mm -hmm. Tito and the band house Mm -hmm. band play it. Uh, Down in in Mexico was actually used in another Tarantino film in the future. And we see this scene of them dancing. We also see some of the characters that were introduced earlier. Uh, Sex Machine Mm. was introduced and he is played by Tom Savini he, the way he's introduced cracks me up as he goes and basically has this whip and takes a beer out of a guy's hand that's next to him. And that beer, that the guy whose beer he took it from was actually the special effects director <laughs> and supervisor uh, in the film. He takes the beer and drinks it. And when the guy tries to come after him for the beer, he goes and shows him his crotch gun.
0: That's the best.
1: <laughs> which is like so hilarious. But we actually seen the gun before. You know where we saw it before, Tom?
0: Um, I'm thinking in another Rod Rodriguez film, am I correct?
1: Yes. One part that was just priorly shot before that. Desperado. Stuff. Yep. Desperado. It's when she's looking through his guitar cage, she pulls it out and is like, what's this? And He's like, oh, that saved my life many times. <laughs> and, you know, just to go like this atmosphere of the of the, of the bar before we go deeper into the, um, you know, after the steak dance, you have Chango Beer, which is shown like there's neon lights of Chango Beer and Chango Beer, of course, is in Desperado with the horrible beer they serve at the bar to both (laughs) Tarantino there. But I love how they're like incorporating all their little things. And, you know, not just with the character, people playing the the characters, but like little tidbits and stuff in the film that, you know, you could tell it's like, they're both sprinkled their stuff into it to make it their own. And I love that fact. And, you know, the bartender that served Tarantino's character, Chango beer was played by Chich (laughs) Marin, who's makes predominant roles in this film. uh, so to go a little bit more on the revolver that we just talked about, Sex Machines Cross Revolver had been a source of much debate as a terrible idea because a recoil would hurt him. <laughs> uh, if you, In an interview with James Rolfe, who's known as the Angry Video Game Nerd, Tom Savini justified the recoil issue by stating that during this time in the Army in the Vietnam War, they tested the recoil of an M16 by placing it on various parts of the human body, including the chin, and the crotch with no injury whatsoever. So if you ever wonder like how's he firing that thing without getting hurt, that's Savini states. That's the reason that uh, <laughs> it's been proven that it won't hurt you with, you know, due to the Vietnam testing. He said it could be belt fed. One cylinder holds bullets and the other one holds the spent shells. It resembles to evolve. The resemblance to a revolver is just cosmetic and the cod piece itself might be reinforced and padded to reduce the recoil. So, if you ever want to do a deep dive into can this thing shoot, now, you know it can, and you won't get hurt from it. And like I said, George uh, Greg Doctero, Nicotero is the actual special effects uh, supervisor and makeup supervisor. Because Tar- Savini so still did special effects for this film, but you know he was acting. So this is his, his counterpart, by the way, from his company. Um, he is the character that uh, basically says beer stolen. And then he eventually, in a deleted scene, gets killed by Salma Hayek's character. So as we after the snake dance, and we see you know, and during the dance and the spilling of champagne, Tarantino, you could tell why he wrote himself into this role and probably why he chose Salma Hayek. His (laughs) obsession with feet is on full force here, with uh, her her putting his her foot in his mouth, which is like a Tarantino thing. And we eventually transition to Chet and the. Bartender, as well as the bouncer, coming and grabbing Richie and Seth because they beat him up outside. Chet, that is, to where Charlie puts a knife into Richie's hand, which causes him to bleed. He pulls it out and shoots the bartender, to where Seth kills the bouncer. And I love the fact when they shoot them and they're looking at Chet, Chichmarine, and he just starts laughing. And they just blow them away, both of them. And they're like, oh, let's just be cool. Some of Hayek's characters on top of the table, she sees the blood and then we see her turn, jump on Seth. You know, she basically looks, she kind of looks like, uh, I don't know if you remember these film, like the alien characters from the Siri TV series back in the day. with the Alienation? The Alienation.
0: Alienation, yes. James Caan was in the movie. Yeah, oh, this yeah. Is,
1: that's what she reminds me of. Like, the yeah, not, you're, not,
0: you're absolutely right. I see it.
1: And she jumps on his back, on uh, Richie's back, biting him in the neck. And he's like, ah, the the fucking bitch bit me. (laughs) They throw her off. And then we see that, you know, all hell breaking loose. Uh, They're attacked by, everybody in the bar is attacked by vampires as the trippers turn and say, it's feeding time. Uh, Again, green blood is used for the vampires that they get shot because they want to make it past censors for the movie censors. And one of my favorite transitions, when all them turning into vampires, we then cut to the band and the band is all vampires, but they're playing human body parts. And they all like to yeah. Inside out. yeah, yeah right. As their instruments, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, some of the body parts was actually used by, <laughs> from other films by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, which I thought was pretty hilarious. Um, this whole scene is shot by Rodriguez by using a zoom lens and he did it himself. He would frequently zoom in during takes to make it appear as if there was more camera setups, hmm. uh, a technique he had developed from Mariachi. Now, if you look at Mariachi, there's a lot of close-ups, which I think is like really, like at the time when you watch it, it's like really shot really well for such a low-budget film. It and he used really it good. in here and he kind of, that's kind of like his, the the uh, Robert Rodriguez signature, I would say, of his film. And this is how many jump cuts are in the to do extreme close-ups and that's like his signature, like I said. Uh, we then eventually see, you know, the death of Richie as he dies and Seth doesn't know what to do. You know, they start killing off all the vampires in there. sex machine and Frost. We see the character Frost introduced, even though his, he's not named. And we see awesome special effects. And what do you think of the special effects so far?
0: I still think they hold up great. I mean, they look great in then and I think they look great now. Like, I rewatched it, and mm-hmm. I think they held up a little bit better than, like, the Event Horizon um, graphics. But, but I think it's because you're in the midst of, I think, Robert Rodriguez might be a little just as... little bit better of a director i mean i could be wrong than pw but that being said um i think it's the graphics are, are really good
1: yeah and you know we get one of the most iconic lines in the film but before we get to that sex machine is whipping the shit out of people with his whip and when i was doing research for a film i found out that the reason he was using a whip was because it was tribute to the Belmonts of the game Castlevania which I oh. thought was pretty awesome that they included that aspect like Tarantino and Rodriguez are complete nerds like, nah. but I love the fact that they put video games into this movie which I thought was awesome that is really cool and then we get the iconic scene of Salma Hayek standing over a, a basically uh, on the floor George Clooney and she says this famous line welcome to slavery no, thanks. I already had a wife. <laughs> and that line was actually improvised by Clooney, which I think is pretty hilarious. Um, there was a special makeup, you know, effect that was done to one of the strippers. I don't know if, so when they basically are on a standoff and you see the vampires walk over, you see a stripper with her, like a vampire with her stomach ripped open. And the reason for that was there was actually supposed to be a scene where that stomach was supposed to be a large mouth. And they were supposed to put a head from a biker that they she they cut off, and it was supposed to eat it. Mm. Uh, it was turned too graphic uh, that Tarantino even said, "I don't want to see it." <laughs> um, you can see the scene though, actually, in the special edition DVD, which is kind of crazy. Uh, they also mentioned Peter Cushing in this film, part of the scene when they're talking about, you know, they need they need uh, uh, crucifixes. And Scott tells them, oh, look around. There's sticks. You can just put two sticks together. And Sex Machine says, yeah, yeah. Peter Cushing did it all the time (laughs) when they're trying to go through vampires. So after they kill the initial runs of vampires, we get the famous uh, Do You Believe in Vampires thing. But prior to that, this is another one I'm I'm kind of skipping around here, but prior prior to that, we hear the... Now let's kill that fucking band. (laughs) I can do that. And we see the band basically say... Uh, good night, motherfuckers. <laughs> and then they explode. <laughs> but then we see the vampires. Are the vampires real?
0: We got a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. And that's it, plain and simple. I don't want to hear anything about I don't believe in vampires because I don't fucking believe in vampires, but I believe in my own two eyes. And what I saw is fucking vampires. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing
1: with is vampires? and I love that little dialogue there like cloning because it's it's believable like I yeah. don't believe in them, but I know what the fuck I saw and they basically tell the characters I'll say like I believe in him what I saw and we uh, as we transition to you know all the vampires are pretty much dead the people who are bitten start to turn and we see sex machine help out Kate who's almost killed by a like a, a biker I believe that crawled on the floor right to bite her yes he uh, saves her and he says, we have to kill the other people and we stab him in the heart. So they go around stabbing the corpses that were attacked by the vampires. Kate sees a guy who looks normal and she can't do it. Uh, and so he wakes up and then she stabs the shit out of him. Uh, but as he, as sex machine looks over to her, he kind of caught, she kind of cost him, you know, his life because he gets bit by a vampire that steps up and bites him. He kills him, but he's bit and He covers it up. Uh, I love this whole transition of Savini turning because as after Sex Machine is turned, they're talking about what's next, you know, what's the best way to handle things and we get, you know, Frost's story about how he would kill people in Vietnam. It's just so random <laughs> and I just, I love the fact that he's just telling this story of how he would stab people and he's like, down <laughs> and doing the stabbing, and like they're just all these people are just like watching him that
0: like, is, and watching it this last time. I literally was laughing, going like, yeah. Is this re-? like? But that's what was, yeah, you know, it's, a cool scene because it's so out there in the movie. I like yeah,
1: it. and he's like, I can come at me now. And then while <laughs> this is, but I love it because while this is going on, Sex Machine is hearing voices as he's starting to turn into a vampire of saying, Kill them, kill them. And eventually he turns and he attacks Frost and bites him uh, after punching George Clooney in the face, uh, pushing away Scott, pushing away Kate and throwing Jacob. He bites Jacob in the the, uh, forearm and throws him against the bar. And I like how Scott puts up his hands like he's going to fight. He does it like such a like a weak way. And Frost calls out, you bit me. He's like, what are you going to do about it? He's like, come on, sex machine. (laughs) That's the line right there. And he turns, he turns. And before he turns, he just like flops his arm and smacks the hell out of Scott to knock him down. And then he just fixes his coat. (laughs) And I just love the whole like fight between the two because he just runs at him and he just taught, like, he literally throws him like 50 feet through the door as there's bats outside the door of the bar banging on the door. And the bats all fly in and you can see Frost has turned and they run to the back. Um, they run to the back here to, to save themselves while Jacob is under the bar. They think he's dead and they're freaking out. They're like, what are we going to do? They're finding all these things in the back, like uh, from the past that truckers had left. Uh, they're, they're thinking they're going to die. The, the vampires are outside the door. Jacob revives himself and tapes his arm and he finds a shotgun and a baseball bat and uses them as a cross as he goes to the back, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty cool how you know, he's using it to go to the back to protect himself. You also have to remember Jacob is a former preacher when he gets to that back. He's basically convinced by George Clooney's character, Seth to let's have us one light. Let's have a one last stand against him. And the speech that Clooney gave, it's pretty funny because we just mentioned that Tarantino came off the famous film Pulp Fiction. Well, Julius's monologue in there, Ezekiel, <laughs> you know, he talks about Ezekiel and I was struck down with furious anger. Oh, angers. yeah. Go ahead. go ahead. Tell him to it. A great furious anger. Oh, yeah. You know the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he goes, he goes into it. That was supposed to be George Clooney's line in this film. Really? Yes. Tarantino wrote that monologue for the Seth character, but figured it would be better in Pulp Fiction. And I think oh. Samuel Jackson pulls it off better than... Oh, yeah. Peter. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean that's that line pretty much is one of the makers in Pulp Fiction where this that it would have been good in this movie, but I don't know if it would have been as memorable. You know what I mean? It would just would have been in this movie is a great line.
1: Yeah. And Tarantino says he got inspiration for that line and monologue from watching a Sonny Chiba movies, who's actually, you know, the street fighting man who oh, yeah. would become more prominent later again they have a resurgence in Kill Bill. And then he was in Tokyo Drift Three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Tokyo Drift Fast and Furious 3 which I think is a good movie uh, so as they're going in the back they're, the main characters are trying to huddle and say you know what they're going to do Jacob Fuller makes it to the back he busts through you know gets through the door and he tells him he was bit and he's going to turn but he can help fight with them but he makes his family promise that they have to kill him if they want him to help or he's going to kill himself now they all agree and I like how they use the tools, you know, within that little room yeah. because they, they, they've shown that truckers and bikers have been basically been fed on for years. And there's crates of their, you know, supplies. They find a crossbow, which uh, Kate uses. They find, you know, super soakers and water balloons. And he basically blesses the water, to so it can be used as holy water, which I thought is awesome. They find, uh, what does uh, he have, like a jack?
0: yeah that was the cool the jack uh yeah,
1: yeah like a like a jack like a jackhammer basically
0: yeah but then he put the uh, stake at the and end he, of it, he, it yeah
1: scary. he cuts a stake and puts a stake into so he can basically go and you know impale the vampires and then he says his famous line as they're about to go on to battle he basically says all right vampire killers let's go fucking kill some vampires <laughs> again showing you know his clunyisms. and the whole like climax of the battle i think is i love the way they have the uh the shot when they opened the door. Oh yeah. And you see all the vampires all transformed. And it was really interesting reading about this because when you look at it, you see that there's a bunch of them. You see the, but due to the heavy number of special effects the film had to be strictly bu- budgeted to scenes would or scenes would have been cut from it. Uh, that meant they only had six fully body vampire suits that could be used for the climax. So um the climax of the film actually it was like dozens of vampires. And as you see in the film, there's a bunch of them. So the way they did this was they made dummies and they, used the dummies that exploded, they put them in the scene, you know, in the background to make it seem like there's a tons of vampires. So, cool. but really it's actually just dummies that you were used for explosions. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool yeah. and a great, great illusion by Robert Rodriguez. He also used cardboard cutouts as well to, to make it seem like there was a bunch of vampires. So that, you know, great thinking and great illusion. You know, then we see the epic battle of them fighting with us, by you know, Sex Machine and fighting all the vampires. And Sex Machine turns into a rat. <laughs> or, you know, uh, I, I, they say it's a dog, but I think it's a rat. And I thought it was kind of funny doing the research for this, that the sounds he makes... It was actually Robert Rodriguez's baby son, Rocket. Oh, really? Uh, who was learning to talk, and it was the sounds that he was making, so Robert Rodriguez recorded it and <laughs> basically used it as the uh, rat dog's uh, oh, sound funny. effects, which is kind of funny. That's great. Uh, we eventually see, unfortunately, the death of Jacob as he turns. His son, Scott, kills him, and then Scott is killed because he's bitten up by the vampires to so where Kate kills him and the vampires. They're surrounded, and they begin to shoot at the vampires, but they actually hit a wall and then we see sunlight coming through and they shoot the area around them so more holes and sunlight can come through until they're out of bullets and then we hear Carlos who's played by Chichmarin say is anybody in there and they're like shoot, uh, let us out to where him and his two bodyguards shoot up the doors and basically open it and you see all the vampires see the sunlight and they basically explode in flames The funny part about this tone is that the two bodyguards from with Carlos are actually from from uh, Desperado. Christos Christos is one of them, the ball-headed guy. Uh He's the guy who fights um, his right-hand man's nephew. Oh, and he breaks his leg. He's like, if he can't find Christos, then I don't want him. And the (laughs) other guy, Mike Moroff, who plays Manny in the film, is shrug from Desperado. And if you remember, he's the guy who's like you he could be the bad guy. And he, he's like, huh? And he tries to shoot him. And then he's also the guy who, uh, he's like, hey, he comes out of his, his armored car and he's like, hey, hey, and he shoots him. And <laughs> you know, he plays a hilarious character, a shrug. Um, it's just kind of cool that Rodriguez had his boys kind of like, he like small little roles yeah. here. Oh, yeah, and it kind of ties everything together. <laughs> Cheech Madarine's character, Carlos was actually originally lined up to be played by Erica Strada. <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, but Cheech took the spot because I don't know if she, it's probably a bond and more money or whatnot I don't know but he wasn't used um, and we get our famous scene where after they kill them Cheech Marini asks like were they psychos or something? Oh, were they psychos?
0: <laughs> they look like psychos? Is that what they look like? They were vampires psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them I don't give a fuck how crazy they are
1: and just like that you know scene cracks me up uh, Carlos basically gets him you know money gives him his ride Kate offers to uh, <laughs> Kate offers to go along but he's, you know, he says I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a repulsive asshole but I'm not that big of an asshole <laughs> Estrada found out he had to wear a shirt maybe it could be yeah maybe that's why he didn't do it um, and then the characters ride off and as they cut away you see the basically the bar is basically on top of a temple a Mexican temple or Aztec temple with all the um, vampires and bloods leading into the cabins and all the wreckage of all the trucks and, you know, motorcycles they have feasted on from people before are in the ruins. And that's how the film ends. And like, I love the way the film ends again, awesome soundtrack to lead it to uh, end the film. You know, just just to, to me, this film's like a roller coaster. It's two different films in one. You have a horror, uh, a horror film. In the second half, in the beginning, you have a crime drama, you know. In the in the beginning, and it to me, it's like it still holds up to this day. Like I, I loved every minute of it when I watched it.
0: Last shot of the movie is my favorite of the movie. That shot you just explained because it explains everything. If they would have saw that from the from the outside, they never would have went inside. But nobody sees it from the outside because it's in the back and it looks like a cool vampire temple, like. Mm-hmm. Kind of like in an interview with the vampire when they go again with Antonio Banderas in his lair, and it's got all the holes with the different vampires in it. This is like that version of it, but in this movie. So um, again, as you stated, great movie.
1: Yeah, I know I gave a lot of detail, like the scenes and whatnot, but it's just a fun film to talk about. And if you haven't seen it, like if you are thinking about it and you describe something that you want to see, definitely check it out. It's vulgar, very vulgar, no doubt about it. Very bloody, but it's 90s. It has a killer soundtrack, great actors, uh, great dialogue between, funny dialogue for a horror movie. Um, and like I said, it's just two different movies all in one and they blend so well together. You know, this film was, you know, very impactful on me in horror because I it was another aspect of me looking at a different way horror is told. Uh, as a kid, you know, you, we were used to the old John Carpenter films, you know, the Exorcist films that like we talked about earlier. And this is just a new take on it along with Scream and like it's kind of hilarious that Scream in this movie came out the same year Mm. you know it really is Mm -hmm. Um, definitely but yeah so that's our film breakdown Tone you want to get into some uh, critical reception and fan theories let's get to it (laughs) all right let's move on to our next segment You know that fat cocksucker says I look like the Shah of Iran? Who does?
0: Tone. I never got that at all.
1: I love that line. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the film made $25 million on a $19 million budget. Of course, it didn't make a lot of money at the box office because it wasn't really known how to promote it. Uh, it's considered a cult classic now and a tribute to the horror genre, like we explained. Roger Ebert was a huge fan of the film and gave it three stars. Uh, this movie spawned a sequel and a prequel as well as a television series that Rodriguez helped produce and direct. Uh, Danny Trejo is the only character to appear in all the films. Uh, so, you know, um, Charlie apparently is a big character. It also spawned a video game for Windows in 2001. I didn't happen to see that, but... Or play it, but now it makes me want to go back and look it up. See, I'm curious uh, to see that about that. Yeah. So, two fan theories I have here, and I'm going to read them to you. The first fan theory is that Frost, who's played the character, you know, the character of the muscular man, was already a vampire via the house painter on Reddit. He says, it's funny how long the show really went on before the vampires were revealed. These devils blend in for their own good reasons and devious tactics. Particularly, the entire titty twister was housed with vampires before the Gecko brothers and the hostage family even arrived. Some humans were present, but they didn't outnumber the vamps and were never going to. But let's start with Frost. For years, I've been wondering what he meant about what he saw in Vietnam. He made it seem like he encountered something out of the ordinary in that specific time period. It's obvious it might have been a vampire. A nest of vampires, maybe. Considering that's what the movie is about anyway. But my thing is, how would Frost prevail from this horror? It's pretty sure it caught him off guard. Something that he didn't understand. And he had no chance of defeating that type of threat at that moment. I would imagine he was overpowered and the vampire turned him inside of... Instead of just slaying him, Frost barely gave any shock or empathy in the fact that they were actually around after Richie got bit. It's like he, already, he was already just there for the party. He could have managed to keep the vamp condition in check for many years, or just in cahoots with the titty twister all along. This could also be backed by the fact that he didn't show any real worry or panic after getting bit by Sex Machine, but rather annoyance. After he taunted Sex Machine before questionably throwing him through a wall, releasing more vampires into place, and somehow he seconds he's already a vampire. Uh, Somehow in seconds, he's already a vampire. This never made sense to me since every victim turned a little later, but Frost turned immediately after getting bitten. Maybe his cover was blown, so he just plain transformed. His Vietnam story right before this happens was an allusion to to the vampires. Frost was always mysterious and sly. What do you think about that?
0: (laughs) I actually, this might be my favorite theory of all of them uh, that we've done so far. I like it. I could see it. Him throwing them into the wall and unleashing all those vampires. That's what kind of could make it seem true. I think it's a solid. What do you think?
1: So I think it's like, in theory it is, but I think the one big hole that pokes, you know, that is the character of uh, Santa Nico, who uh, like, according to the way they worship her, is mm-hmm. probably the head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But her dying and him being okay with it to me is like, you're oh, right. Maybe, maybe that wasn't, you know, but I can see it. And I just love the fact when his character gets killed in the film, he gets scared and basically just melts away, which, <laughs> yeah. which is totally ironic because he's a big tough guy. And then when he's a vampire, he doesn't want to get killed. So he just melts away. Oh, yeah. But that's a pretty good, that's probably the best fan theory we've written, read on this, this show. It's a good one. It's a good one. And here's another one. I'm sure Brian will love this connection. This is a possible connection between From Dust Till Dawn and the Killer Crow. Fans of Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino's first g- genre collaboration from Dust Till Dawn may be familiar with Frost, the African-American war vet, played by Fred Williamson. He recounts a star, a war story to the survivors of the massacre at the Titty Twister before getting bitten by a Sex Machine. Tarantino fans may also be aware of the director's unrealized project. Killer Crow, a war film with a primarily African-American cast. Quentin had this to say about the project in an interview with The Root. There's something about this that would suggest a trilogy. My original idea for Inglorious Bastards way back when was that this would be a huge story that included the smaller story that you saw in the film, but also followed a bunch of African-American troops and they had been fucked over by the American military and kind of go apeshit. They basically, they basically, the way Aldo Reigns, Brad Pitt, and the Bastards are having an Apache resistance. The black troops go, to, go on an Apache warpath and kill a bunch of white soldiers and white officers on the military base and is making a warpath to Switzerland. It will be called Killer Crow or something like that. While Killer Crow takes place during World War II and Williamson's characters fought in Vietnam, I don't think there would be much of a stretch to imagine that the two stories are being linked in some way perhaps in the same way that true romance is linked to Inglorious Bastards by the way of Lee slash Donnie Donowitz. Lee is filming a Vietnam War film during true romance, by the way. <laughs> if there's a connection that would put Killer Crow in the same microverse as from Dust Till Dawn, Kill Bill and Grindhouse, though that may necessarily contradict the microverse theory, a Killer Crow as Killer Crow and Inglorious Bastards. What do you think about that?
0: Interesting. Definitely interesting. I like the expansiveness of it. I like the time put into it. You know, I don't know if it's, I don't like it as much as the first one, but it's still interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, I think this one's more of a stretch. Yeah. But I can see Tarantino adding aspects of a film that wasn't done. Also, um, I also just think he probably did the dialogue of John Williamson for one to show how, how much of a badass the character was, mm-hmm. Ross. That's and true. I think also just to be like, a little bit of comedic effect because I mean that part is pretty funny where he's like doing the stabbing motion. Everybody's just around him, like surrounding him, like oh yeah. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean those are two decent theories. I think the first one was probably holding more water than the second one, but those are some fan theories, man. So, final thoughts, Tony. All this together, what do you think? I'm
0: thinking we're lining up for a great movie. Um, definitely a movie that you're going to want to watch. I think with some some friends and you're going to want to have a good time and that's what the movie is as a whole you know it's not scary but it's like cool scary it's a cool as you stated very vulgar but then again what isn't from tarantino that you're getting involved with that isn't highly vulgar in some way shape or form um but then again i think that's in the title too from dusk till dawn i mean you know kind of what you're getting into maybe overall i love the movie it's really really good um the casting for me again any uh, danny trejo this is where i'm getting one of my huge introductions from him besides um desperado um just great all-around movie
1: yeah i love Danny Trejo. i mean he was in blood and blood out um oh, yeah. he was in uh that movie with uh eric roberts uh midnight train i think it was where yeah. he plays the boxer yes. um yeah, Danny Trejo is an awesome human being too. Like, it, like he's a, tra- a legit treasure. Like, he's a person that's very humble. Uh, you know, he's one of my favorite people. And, and one of these days, hopefully, you know, in the future, we can get him to come on and talk for a little bit. Oh, yeah. That
0: would be, you talk about a dream. Yeah. Dream, dream come true. Um, awesome. Real quick before we go about Danny Trejo, there's a horror movie from 1987 called The Hidden. Mm-hmm. You ever see The Hidden? No, I have not oh my god we gotta, we gotta watch we gotta watch that <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that at a later date though but i just wanted i was curious it's it's a good deep cut but he's he plays like a one second he's in jail in it which is funny because uh, sadly he was in jail before but he's playing a j- someone in jail in this movie but uh, awesome actor and uh, cool to show his range in so many different things
1: yeah uh, awesome. He also loves has his own taco place and uh, donut place, and I love tacos and donuts.
0: My, my wife was always showing me the pictures of this place, and by talk about a dream then I would fall to my knees. Um, <laughs> it was kind of like when I sat in that reclining chair when we went and seen Iron Claw. Yeah, and Evil Dead. No, Evil Dead. Oh, Dead. And when I would never had sit in the seat like that, where it like reclined. I had like, but like that was what I'd be like in Danny Trail, but great movie my man great movie
1: For sure if you haven't seen Dutle Dawn, check it out it's on uh, HBO Max if you if for free you can watch it there you can also can run it I think like there's DVD copies out there for five bucks you also have the the trilogy DVDs you know they're like go for 10 fifteen dollars it's definitely worth a watch uh give it the respect it deserves and check it out um, with that we got two more segments uh' it's gonna be quick ones we're gonna go into our next segment of coming soon. rumble coming soon proximamente coming soon so coming soon this is uh, you know precursor there will be no show next week and that is my fault uh, I have to get my computer flushed out I do I run a um water-cooled computer, so it has to be flushed out every year and I'm already a little bit behind on that. It takes about a week or so to get everything flushed out and cleaned and then I'm getting it upgraded in certain areas. So I have to take it to the shop tomorrow. So after today, I won't be able to do any videos or anything like that, pods, for at least a week or so. So we're going to take next week off and we'll be returning on the 16th. And Tone, tell us what we're talking about on the 16th.
0: Uh, really quick we should have planned that better when you said we weren't gonna have a show i should have been yumper no (laughs) like richie instead of but uh, we got coming up down the hatch the next one we're gonna be talking about la bamba and uh to kind of uh correlate with the fact that they're releasing a brand new musical biography by bob marley we decided we were gonna pick into the vaults of amazing musical biographies and bring up one that means quite a lot to us and well, La Bamba, it is, and it's going to be amazing.
1: Yes, and the character Bob.
0: And <laughs> uh, seven hours just on Bob? No, I'm kidding. It yeah. Hours, but Bob needs Bob is great.
1: Yes, i was really looking forward to uh, La Bamba. So on the 16th. We'll be coming back with La Bamba, and then we'll go for a show every week after that to continue. Uh, as we're we're trying to do weekly shows. Uh, if you guys like the way the format of the show is set up, let us you know. You know in the comments, or let us know in. uh, at Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Lil Yumper or at the show Pod on Twitter. Bob or Bobbo? Bobbo! Bobbo. <laughs> uh And I'll let Tony know at the Sugar Baggy on Twitter. And, you know, as a pre, just leading into our next transition, we're going to go into the Sugar Baggy Song Pick of the Week. The Sugar Baggy Soundtrack Pick of the Week.
0: All right. So what we have here tonight, first of all, here before I I get started, is we're going to go into uh, the Howard Stern Private Parts album soundtrack. Um, What I remember most about this, and I had to really, really pull from, well, folks, I had to pull from a VHS cassette to show you what I'm about to show you here right here. When this album uh, came out, movie came out. MTV did this special. It was called like Howard Stern's private party parts. It had everybody was there from LL Cool J to Lenny Kravitz to Jane's It was a big thing. Um, the soundtrack itself, so many um, great songs. Just this last week, Green Day came out with a new album, but on the soundtrack they do an awesome cover of the Kinks, um, I'm "Tired of Waiting for You." Um, Really, 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 really good. Um, lots of good songs, and uh, well, I think it's a good soundtrack. And if it's been a while since you've checked it out and the movie itself, it all works really well together. So please do it.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, good, uh, good, um great soundtrack uh i do love the fact that in that clip you shown howard yep. stern looks like he uh, is taking wardrobe uh <laughs> from the matrix uh, with <laughs> his, his big trench coat and sunglasses yes. uh, Br- brian cracked me up with this comment i'm gonna get screwed blued and tattooed for that episode la bamba yes brian yes please election.
0: do we all might
1: <laughs> but um Great pick tone. Uh, Private Parts is a film that I remember watching and I, I watched it actually on USA and they had the cutaways of uh, Howard Stern coming in to talk about parts they couldn't show on um, TV and he's like, buy the DVD. <laughs> uh, you know, it's always always stuck with me. Uh, great soundtrack, uh, film's crazy but um, that's our Giamatti show. Are, so,
0: my introduction, one of my early introductions to Giamatti. Oh you yeah, know, Big Vomit. Big it. you know, David, you know yeah. great role but yeah, uh, and even Stern, you know, he doesn't do a bad job for what he's doing in the movie, shockingly. Like, and you know, it's so. an
1: entertaining movie. That's uh, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never read, read the, the book it. either. So, no, I, mean, I never read you know, the book. No. Uh, I know uh, MSS is probably a huge fan of uh, the film. <laughs> we should ask him. Maybe one day we'll do uh, the private parts and have him come in. Yeah. That would be amazing. I know he'd be down for that. Uh, but. That's our show for the week, guys. Uh, thanks so much for staying with us. I know this was a long one. We did a deep dive in Dussel Dawn. Shout out to Keelan over at Razzball. Check her out in our articles at Razzball. You can follow him on Twitter at Razzball. Uh, also, uh, just want to say uh shout out to Brian and the drafty show. They just had a great episode of recasting star Wars with SNL characters with Cherizi, uh, baloney from the bums and, uh, not Larry <laughs> from Twitter. Worse. And it was a hilarious episode. Uh, they had some good picks, so check that one out. That will be on our YouTube page as well. And my man Tony has been killing it with the hookup on music. Uh, he's been dropping great, uh, reviews and little sound cuts. I every time like when I'm working, Tony, I throw your pot up to have it yep. on to my work, and I just listen to. And it cracks me up. Um, and also, Bruhan Luke just had a great interview with Roger. Uh, I forget his last name. What's Roger's last name? I should have wrote this down. But he uh, he actually, the man who traveled to all, to I think, 61 college football games uh, through the country, uh, he did an interview with him. And he it was a great, Luke knocked it out that of the ballpark with that, that interview.
0: Really, 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 really um, great, um, great interview. Really great yeah. interview. Yeah,
1: it was a great, great interview. Uh, Luke, uh, Roger, Road Rogers, his name is uh, Alias. He did a great job uh, for that. So check that out. That's actually on YouTube right now along with this. Uh, be sure if you guys are into the audio version check out the video version because we do show a lot of visuals in there and it goes a lot plays into the sound clips I play but thanks guys for watching we will see you in two weeks and be sure to check us out at the pod show on Twitter with Tony's putting up some great polls and we got a lot of movie uh, trivia in there so take it easy guys take care everybody
0: thanks for listening to the at the show podcast
1: A Sadistic Penguin Studios production. Game over, man! It's game over! What the fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? Maybe we could build a fire,
0: sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that?